could talk about time. Adam. Watch a film today. James. We'd explain all the plots that confused you. Scott. And we'd say... Welcome to Time Travel Film Club. Hello from the past, present and future. My name's Scott Hamza and thank you so much for listening to the finale episode of the Time Travel Film Club. A weird, wild and sometimes bewildering beyond all comprehension journey across some of the best and some of the worst time travel films throughout our timeline. As always, joining me in the TTFC to my right, it's our resident science guy, the man who puts the fizzle in Fizzle Bomber, it's James Donnelly. Please don't make me recount the uh, events of the Fizzle War, Scott. <laughs> the deep, God, dark, His eyes just scene. then. He <laughs> went somewhere else for a second. And to my left, once again, it's film fact finder extraordinaire and a man who's definitely committed some crimes in a laundrette, it's Adam Hedges. <laughs> I was only washing my pants. <laughs> Gentlemen, we are here to kick off another episode, the final episode of the season of Time Travel Film Club, our collection of 12 time travel movies spanning three decades and five countries in which each episode you, our wonderful listeners, will join our past selves for the breakdown, analysis and comparison of a time travel movie that you might not have heard of. Which brings me to today's episode and this episode's insane film. It is Predestination. Predestination was released in 2014, directed and written by the Spearig brothers, starring none other than Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook. Now, this film, dear listener, is kind of explosive in many ways. And so I would advise if you are averse to uh, profanity or just the spoilers of the movie, if you'd like to kind of stay in the dark as to the plot, then I would advise once once the music finishes, once we disappear from here and the music comes up, when that music comes back down, just skip ahead by 90 seconds. Skip ahead by a minute and a half and you'll dodge all of the spoilers that we, you know, that I admittedly scream and shout about at the beginning of this podcast. That's just a little, a little warning up top if you want it by all means go enjoy it but if you want to dodge we know we have some listeners who like to have the plot revealed to them linearly so if that's your jam please by all means just skip ahead by 90 seconds and you will be golden but before we send you back in time to our past selves if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything to do with this season we'd be over the moon to hear from you boys how can our lovely listeners get in touch well, you can like us on Fizzlebook at uh, time <laughs> 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 uh, you can like us on Facebook at Time Travel Film Club, or you can follow us on Twitter at Time Travel Club. And if you've ever wanted to join a time traveling agency, please tell us on our subreddit r slash Time Travel Film Club, or send an email to Time Travel Film Club at gmail.com. And thus, without further delay, James, Adam, grab your violins and your best chat up lines, because we're off to predestination. It's just us here. We can we in the spot. Yeah, yeah, we're cool. What the? <laughs> what the absolute fizzle bomber <laughs> happened in this movie? Everyone uh, is everyone. A mother to father to daughter to son to an uncle to grandpa to literally every a cousin four times removed. An agent and a bomber as well. Everyone is everyone. Everyone is everyone, and it messed with my mind so much that I don't know who I am anymore. Weird sex has happened. Weird sex. <laughs> I couldn't. How could we ignore it? What's going on? <laughs> my my favorite part was when I had the credits and I thought there's only two credits though. Yeah. There's only two <laughs> people in this cast film. List here. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> 
There's only two people in this whole movie. And one of those people has had sex with himself a bunch of times. With herself is insane. I'd given birth to themselves. There's a pre-Jane. There's a current Jane. There's a post-Jane. There's many Janes. There's an agent. Fizzly bombs. It's insane. Ooh. Oh, God. Mm. I just had to scream from the mountains after I saw this. I couldn't wait to talk to you guys about it. My good God. (laughs) My good God. Okay. Let's compose ourselves. Let's bring it back down. We're going to, we're going to do our usual. We're going to go through this movie. Let's, let's hopefully welcome back everyone else. Okay. So welcome back. To all of the the non spoiler listeners, don't worry, we've we've got it all off our chests. We are we are back to uh, to the to the fiction of the movie. Temperature of the rooms come back down again. Yes, yes, thank you. Now, welcome, James, Adam. It's predestination time. It certainly is. It's episode twelve of Time Travel Film Club. It's our finale episode. Big crescendo. And I think this film is worth a big oh, crescendo. It is, it is the crescendo. What My a movie. lord. We open with a spy type guy skulking around sort of the the underbelly of a building. I didn't catch what kind of building could have been a train station, could have been a factory, could have been an office. I, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I don't it looks think. important. Yeah, yeah, right. There's exactly. People in suits wandering around. Yeah, up in the reception. And we something that happens a lot in this movie is that we can't quite make out this person's face at the moment. We don't get to, you know, sort of exclusively see the identity of this person. They're, you know, skulking around shadows, clever camera angles. We don't get to confirm the identity of the person we're following. We know they're probably a violinist based on that violin case. Now, down in the underbelly of this building, our spy-type violinist guy has been noticed by another eerie, skulking, shadowy person that we can't quite make it out the identity of. He lunges out from the darkness. We get a little sort of fight ensuing. A, a little shootout begins and it ends as quickly as it started the spy type guy turns around tries to use his his techno briefcase doodad but it explodes horrifically and just burns him to smithereens and so now uh, our spy type violinist is crawling around on the floor just burnt to a cinder in agony and then as someone skulks out from the shadows picks up a device moves past his his body our burnt up to a cinder spy type violinist guy blip back in a hospital bed fully bandaged face Lost Chrono Kremena's reference? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and maybe the most gruesome start to a time travel film we've had for a while. Mm. Like, I mean, quite a horrific scene of someone burning to death, but then being saved by the very person who caused them to get this way? There's such little confirmation of identity. There's such little sort of filming of faces. Everything's deliberately vague in this section, right? You know, it's it's the setup. It's designed to kind of make you think what's going to happen for the rest of the movie, so... Our horribly burned guy wakes up in this uh, hospital bed, looks up at the ceiling, and he sees two signs that are, I assume, plastered onto the ceiling. Yeah, like the, they reminded me of the classic demotivational posters that you see. So this movie's uh, based on a short story by Robert A. Heinlein, and uh, I'm going to read you the other bylaws of time travel. Oh, this is, is the what laws. These are. So they're not like demotivational or motivational uh-huh. lines. These are two direct rips from the, from that original story. Okay. I'm going to read you the rest because they're not as easy to take as, the, as these the ones. The two on the ceiling yeah. are never do yesterday what should be done tomorrow. And if at last you do succeed, never try again. <laughs> which, which I mean, I fully agree with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. The other ones you have, a stitch in time saves nine billion. Okay, with. okay. A paradox may be paradoxed, which I think is actually in the film. That gets mentioned later on in the movie. Um, It is earlier when you think. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Ancestors are just people. 
Agreed. And even Jove nods, which I presume is a religious re- reference. I was going to say, it's like the, bi- is that the Maybe. same, the same Jove, Jove from like, by Jove. So. so By Jove, yeah. So just as a throwback, I mean, th- there wasn't any reason, I suppose, for them to use all of them, but it's a it's a nice pull. And so they're the bylaws of time travel. Yeah, bylaws, which suggests that there are other laws, and these are the like bylaws that follow those laws, but it's never referenced apart from that. So, And that's one of the books that the... The film's based on just just what is just one short story, nine nine pages long. This entire film was based on a nine page story. And how closely does it tie to the film? Almost word for word, you would not believe. Wow. Okay. I'll I'll come back to it later on because there'll be more things to talk about. But I mean, it is it is literally exactly the same. Having read through his two motivational posters, <laughs> we find out that our horribly burned guy is is an agent. He's awarded his second black mark cross for. Originally, I, I originally wrote bravery, but I think it's just because no, you've just been damaged. You've just had, you've so incurred. It's a purple heart. Yeah, you've yeah, in, yeah, it's a it's a, yeah, you've yeah, incurred yeah. some injury. I did Google Black Mark Cross just to see because I know nothing about army medals, but I don't think it's a real. No, I think thing. it's probably just one they've invented for the. Yeah, our guy is told. Listen, don't worry. You didn't catch the fizzle bomber. He said it's not your problem anymore. Everything's good. Have your second black mark. No worries. You just need to rest up. Fizzle Bomber, a terrible name. I think we can all agree. I love it. <laughs> I love saying it. I love thinking about it. I, would I want to be known as the... F- yeah, I would. I think I would. <laughs> I actually think I would. Want to know why it's the Fizzle Bomber? Oh, go on. Yeah. Original story again. Yeah. Um, the whole Bomber story isn't part of the original story. So that's that's the only part that it varies in. They've added this in as a kind of plot device for to make the film kind of have a have a longer plot. But there is a reference to the Fizzle Wars. No, 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 no. What in the name? <laughs> so it's like it's like the Iron Man story, Armor Wars, yeah, Armor War, or like Secret Wars, Wars yeah, or yeah. Tangfastics yeah. versus Popping Candy. It's, it's very much in the Golden Age of Marvel type time period, nineteen fifty eight. So I mean, yeah, the Fizzle Wars are supposed can, to be. Don't say it with a straight <laughs> face. <laughs> Fizzle Wars. God, I'm trying to give you a fact. I remember, it's just imagine so like a Vietnam vet there. He's got like two missing limbs. <laughs> I was in the Fizzle Wars. <laughs> Nine years in the Fizzle Wars. I was, a, I was a POW in a Fizzle camp. I was in a Fizzle camp. <laughs> You've got children running around being like, I was a Fizzle baby. <laughs> Interestingly. Um, the, fizzle the Fizzle Wars. wars. The, fizzle, the wars. fizzle Wars. Okay, I'm so- sorry. Okay, no. Please. Just rein it all back in for a second. I know, it's, I know it's an amusing thing. So, yeah, the Fizzle Wars are just referenced in the original story. Uh, and basically, um, the same event happens in... There is a big bomb that goes off, but the, it's happening all over the world, hence the Fizzle Wars. Um, many of still them. Smiling. Many still of smiling. them. There's so many of them. Um, but the one in... The, the make references is this big one that doesn't happen in New York. The bomb doesn't go off in New York when yeah. attacked. So I guess that's oh, where So it would pulled. create potentially create a, another Fizzle War? Absolutely, yeah. It could be Fizzle do you think, War, do you think, World Fizzle War 2. Do you think George Lucas or Peter Jackson for the Fizzle War trilogy? Oh, when Lucas. We get it? Oh, God. oh, Lucas. Yeah, a big time. Right. I want CGI Lucas from 2001. I want him to be like, yeah, Jabba the Hutt. It's not Jabba the Hutt. Who's the other one? Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Second Fizzle War. Jar Jar Fizzle, my boy. He turns heel. (laughs) Wild. (laughs) Fizzle Wars. He's turned heel. (laughs) (laughs) 
Speaking of the Fizzle Wars, as, <laughs> as part of his rest and recuperation, Agent decides, you know, I'm going to sit down, rest up. I'll be listening to recordings of myself and glancing over newspaper clippings of all of the Fizzle Bomber stories. We see that, you know, the Fizzle Bomber, he says in the recording, it plays over the scene, it, the Fizzle Bomber is efficient. He's precise with his timings. And that, as you said, Adam, his, his grand plan, it goes down in, in March 1975. He does mention that the date keeps changing, but that March 1975 is when effectively 11,000 people will die because of fizzle de doodah fizzle de a now the, the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the agent he says on the recording he's like we've he's got one final mission and after that he wants to be decommissioned he's actually talking to robertson at this point he says you know i want i want to be decommissioned uh, no he's not talking to robertson sorry he's talking to the, the the japanese doctor and he says that you know the doctor tells him your scars are healing uh, but you're, there will be some some vocal cord damage, uh, which I thought genuinely is a is a very succinct, nice way of explaining why we are now going to get and have been getting Ethan Hawke's voice. So if you just want to explain like any kind, any way in which you change a character or a character goes through something, just oh yeah, his vocal cords have been damaged. You don't need to just sell it to me. As, uh, they could have had him do an accent. They could have had him try them try and have the same thing going on. Or said both of you be Australian. And then that way it'll work. No, none of that. Just you've had some severe vocal cord damage. So you're going to sound like like Ethan fucking Hawke. A question for all time from superfan TTFC. She watches the movies. She's groovy. She's early. <laughs> early, early today. in the episode. I know, yeah, straight in there. Oh, it was the, the mention of Ethan Hawke, because uh, the question is, is Ethan Hawke Kevin Bacon? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> They've never been in a film together, I can guarantee I, you. I looked that up. I used to confuse, the, uh, there's like a triumvirate of them two and Guy Pierce. Oh yeah, Guy Pierce. Guy, like, the three of them as just being like white guys with kind of narrow faces, uh, perpetually in their 40s like kevin bacon even when he was 21 yeah. oh like yeah. A 40 year old yeah. Man. yeah yeah, yeah uh, well uh it gets better than that they're related really sorry they're... i beg your pardon ethan hawk and kevin bacon Hawke are related to bacon but it's it's distant oh, eighth, okay eighth cousin once removed <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so eighth cousin once removed. i have removed. no concept of how far away he actually is but is it like his mother's sisters cousins brothers friends gardeners uh, no it's more like great great Great, 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 great grandpa. I see. Down to Ulysses Baconhawk. That was the. <laughs> that must be. Uh, add that to your list of D&D characters. <laughs> Ulysses Baconhawk. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, no, I get they 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 look very similar. I would say, by the way, Kevin Bacon versus Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk every time. Well, I was going to ask, do you think, is it like, is it a McDonald's Burger King thing or is it more like a Monster Energy Red Bull thing? They've both got their own vibe and their own place. I'm much more into Kevin Bacon than Ethan Hawke. Really? Yeah, we very, we differ I'm the exact, there. I mean, I'm not anti-Bacon. You are, you are sort of anti-Bacon. I am kind of anti-Bacon. Yeah, halal halal you for life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's, I'm kind of recency biased because I think of Kevin Bacon. I think of those awful EE adverts. Fair. Oh, yeah. Whereas I think of Ethan fucking Hawke. And uh, I think of like uh, uh, this predestination. I think of like Moon Knight. Like he's more he's more recent to me. He's doing he's yeah. doing stuff. I, I Black still, phone. And, and I suppose that. Kevin Bacon is, is big 80s, 90s and 2000s. 
He, I, then... He's got a lot of longevity, to be honest. Yeah, Bacon. He's, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, I loved Dan. Uh, Can he dance? Tremors. Well, it's, it's Tremors. Tremors. Yeah. Tremors. Tremors. I thought that movie was June for 15 years of my life. Oh, yeah, it is June. That's the exact same film. It's like yeah. micro June. Yeah. People kept saying, like, oh, man, have you read the June books? I was like, no, I've seen the movie, though. Kevin Bacon, <laughs> Kevin Bacon's incredible. Yeah, Did you see the bit where he stands yeah. on the can? Oh, my God, June, right? <laughs> I, I can't think of Kevin Bacon without thinking of a coin coming through the front of his head. Yeah, very fair. I mean, God, oh, yeah. that, that movie, as an X-Men fan, is, is terrible continuity-wise, and he's a big problem with it the fact that he partners himself with just oh it's just nightcrawler's dad a red devil i, I don't want to get into <laughs> it but uh but yeah kevin bacon good luck to him fantastic i'm taking my boy ethan falcon okay. <laughs> that's what i love the name alone ethan hawk okay yeah well i like bacon so now as well as the vocal cord damage our agent who uh, now also looks like ethan hawk he he says i doubt my own mother would even recognize me really Really, Ethan? <laughs> really? Yeah. Wink. <clears throat> big wink. Big wink, Ethan. Hawk. I like he's the person in this room. Big wink, agent. Your mother. Yeah. Do you think they had a selection of faces to graft onto? Did they choose Ethan Hawke's <laughs> no, face? I don't think they've grafted a face on. I, I think just, they've just they've made lemonade from lemons. Clearly, it's very clearly a line that uh, she has a line of scars that looks like it's just like oh use use uh, I've got confused now. I said Kevin Bacon. Use, Ethan <laughs> use, use <laughs> the Ethan, Ethan Hawke's visage. Yeah, take, it's like <laughs> no, no. I thought this was a direct sequel to Face Off. Suddenly, <laughs> I thought this was. Suddenly, I think you're right though. I think they went. God, what are we going to make them look like? I know. We, Kevin Bacon looks great. Why don't we just model him after <laughs> Kevin Bacon? Yeah, uh, we couldn't quite do Kevin Bacon, so we've done Ethan Hawke. Uh, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll be, be fine, fine with it. It's yeah, cool. yeah, it'll or, be fine. Or is it just a case that Sarah Snook, if you were to burn her horribly enough, would looks just like look like Ethan, Ethan Hawke? Hawke? I haven't, I haven't run those kind of tests, so I wouldn't. You know, the the, the filmmakers may well have done. I'm going to do one of those face melt things afterwards and see what happens. If you, sorry, face melt was not the right term. You'll I get meant. pulled up on a search know, on, a, on an FBI but, search by Sarah Snook face melt. Let's Don't move do that. on from that. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, Ethan, I think you're a handsome man. He looked like Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool in Wolverine Origins. You remember how like yeah. messed up his oh, and the big yeah. bulbous yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Anyway, so the movie fast forwards, we see that, you know, Agent gets all healed up and is now just a fully Ethan Hawkified person. He continues to drop some bars into his little tape recorder. He explains that all of his missions are leading towards this one final destination. They say Final Destination quite a few times in this film. Mm. It's a bit weird. D I mean, I can only think that they either don't care about the films themselves or loved the movies. Or or it's just, I mean, what's the next step on from Predestination? Yeah, the opposite of Predestination. Final is, Destination. Yeah. Either way. Predestination, uh, post-destination. Post-destination is like you've been, you come uh, you back know, from holiday. Predestination Revisited. <laughs> Are you saying you'd like to watch a sequel to this film, which is just the adventures of Sarah Snook? pre-Ethan Hawke solving fizzle bomb crimes. Yeah. Do I want the fizzle wars to play you out? Want yes, fizzle, of course. Fizzle war saga. I want six hours divided <laughs> yeah. up three ways over three years. We skip forward a little bit again and we see Ethan Hawke now mustachioed and in his 70s finest. He gets given his full induction for the mission all over again, gets given his nice violin time machine. Time machine wise, we mentioned it earlier on, but but let's have a chit chat right now. The, the, the violin device the violin case we don't see a violin but the violin case that, that effectively is the time machine how'd you like it i mean it's i think it's a nice easy way of saying it's a, it's an obvious object that looks different you're not going to accidentally swap your violin case with someone else's bag but it also is kind of different enough and understated enough that 
it works. I'll tell you exactly what my immediate thoughts were. I always appreciate it when the time travel device is made to be transportable. So I, I know we always pull Back to the Future out of this, but the whole reason the back the time machine in Back to the Future is a car is because you want to be able to move around in it. So once you've gone to your location, you don't want to be in like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking kind of Bill and Ted, they're in that phone booth. The phone booth is a weird sort of thing to, to have. It's like a... Uh, it's, it's anachronistic. It's anachronistic. Yeah. Uh, it's that's anachronistic. what I love about the violin case is yeah. that violins have existed way before the 53 Absolutely. years that you're capable of going back to. So violin case will always look fine. Yeah, and, it, won't, somebody it won't stick w- out. Yeah, somebody walks past you with a violin case on the street, you just think, oh, they play violin. You don't yeah. think anything otherwise. I like I like the kind of like... Um, programming of it i like that it's just a violin like case lock that you would find on a violin there's nothing weird about it at all you never get to see what's going on inside the violin case but you know that the way you you way you use it and and is just by twisting those kind of like thumb wheels and that's something we've seen not in the films that we've watched but if you've watched the umbrella academy it's very similar how their yeah. case works it's it's a nice system of having oh you just change the dials mm. and they look like the time that you have to go back to yeah and so he blips and we get the title card. We're now sort of fully into the beginning of the movie, 16 minutes or so in. And he blips to the 70s. Our our agent now decides it's time for a change of profession. He becomes barkeep. And so barkeep Hawk has taken up his new role just in time for a new customer to walk into the bar. This is a, a, a welcome thing because business has been tough recently in 1975 New York. Times are tough. People haven't been coming to the bar. They've been staying off because Fizzly Bizzly's been scaring them too much. Oh <laughs> Fizzly Bizzly. No one, no oh, one God, wants to walk oh. the streets of New York. No, no. Fizzly Bizzly Where is always a concern. Where you come up with it? I mentioned Barkeep specifically as well, because this is what Ethan Hawke's character is listed as in the credits of this movie. It's incredibly difficult at the beginning of this movie for like the first half of this movie to get names. You get one big name that we'll come to in a second. But aside from that, you don't get a name for Ethan Hawke's character for ages. I've had to call him the agent and now we're calling him the barkeep in the same way the movie has. It's intentional. We know that. But like, as I was watching, I kept trying to think, oh man, what's this guy called? I don't want to just keep calling him Ethan Hawke, which... We've done before, I've done before, we just, ah, oh, just name the actor, I can't be bothered to remember. But this time, I totally would remember his name had they given it to me. So yeah, he's listed as the barkeep. I also, just a thing with Ethan Hawke and time travel. I wouldn't say that Ethan Hawke is someone who is synonymous with time travel movies or has a reputation for time travel movies. I don't know any others that he's been in. However, I will say, his whole thing with both the boyhood movie the richard linklater movies uh in general but uh the boyhood movie as well as the the before trilogy before sunrise before sunset and uh, i forget the third one all of those movies are movies that are filmed over large periods boyhood was filmed over 10 years i think maybe 12 and so you have a movie in which the character ages appropriately the movie takes place over 10 years and so ethan Hawke justifiably ages 10 years realistically IRL. And the same thing in the before sunrise films. Every the movies are made every sort of 10 years, 12 years, however long. I should have looked it up, I'm sorry. But the movies are made over a course of time and within the fiction of the movie, the characters themselves have spent that much time apart and they have aged appropriately. So there is a thing where Ethan Hawke I think is an appreciator of a good chronology and an appreciator. I found this because he weirdly 
someone interviewing him asked him about getting veneers and he said like no i wouldn't get veneers because i don't think my character in before sunset would get veneers and so because we're probably going to make another oh. one of those movies in a couple of wow. years i don't want to do something that would prevent me from playing that character as a 50 year old or Big a 52 year old wow, seriously i know that's right like method acting shit that is that's yeah. like yeah ethan hawke's a huge huge sci-fi fan as well oh fantastic when they were kind of interviewing him about this movie um some of the things that he picks out are really interesting he says he loved the script so much that i mean he went in immediately he'd never heard of the book but he went in a book i say book short story he went in immediately read it so one of the things that he he talks about a lot is that um what he loves about predestination is you see the 1970s that he's in but they aren't the 70s as we all saw them happen because it's this alternate reality thing you're seeing the 1970s that Robert A. Heinlein imagined were going to be like back in the 50s. So it's a real, he his appreciation of sci-fi, the sci-fi genre goes a bit deeper. I think he sort of, the, the appreciation that he has for the writer and directors of this and how they constructed from the source material is like really, really appreciative. We've had a bit of that before as well, where you get the interesting sort of real world chronology of an adaptation of something in the past that envisaged a future that is already our past. I think A Sound of Thunder is set yeah. in a 2005. We watched this movie. We watched it in 2019 or 20 or 21, whenever we watched it. But we watched so 2005 is our past. Yeah. It's this movie's hypothetical future based on a novel's even more hypothetical, far-flung future. And again, not to bring it back to back to the future every time, but it is quite fun to look at how do these visions change with reality. Mm. So it's a nice idea to go, well how do I think the vision would have looked had it come about? Interestingly, you mentioned Sound of Thunder. They're, the original source material for both of this, Predestination and Sound of Thunder, they're written in that same period of time when sci-fi is looking into the future and like, people are Like presuming. 50s-ish was the Mid Sound of 50s. Thunder? So yeah. this is 58, this was written. I think Sound of Thunder was 54, something like that anyway. It's all like pre-space race, like like beginnings yeah. of the of that kind of sci-fi element of time. Like there's a ton of good American fiction out there. Yeah, and there's a there's a ton of real sort of Americana 50s B-movies, like the sci-fi alien B-movies all around that time. People are imagining stuff that is really advanced in the future. So I, I think that's why Ethan Hawke sort of attaches himself to projects like this. Gattaca is another one that is like really Gattaca is wild yeah Ethan that's the first Hawk. time I ever saw Ethan Hawke yeah. I was like 11 years old and Gattaca's yeah. a, a weird movie with Very some wild weird. ideas uh, it, oh god that might probably maybe would have been when he met his wife Uma Thurman I didn't realise that yeah oh yeah now the, the new customer that I mentioned walking into the bar just then I haven't named the new customer but it is Sarah Snook. It's Sarah Snook's character one of the interesting things about this is that when this movie was made I had no idea who Sarah Snook was. I think most of the world would have had no idea who she is. I think a lot of people still don't, but because of Succession being, you know, one of the most famous and, and most awarded shows on television in the last, like, however many years, Sarah Snook is now, you know, catapulted to fame, very, you know, well-known, very well-respected. She's wonderful. Spoiler, she's wonderful in this movie. I think she's, I think she does a remarkable job at points, but... 
it's very interesting for me that like when I watched this, I had no idea who she was. I hadn't seen Succession yet. And so because of that, it plays with the fact that you don't know who this is. So you don't know if it's a woman or not, if it's a woman or if it's a man. There's in the scene, patrons of the bar make some very derogatory comments, which are appearance based. And so they are obvi- there is obviously within the fiction of this movie, there is a reason that you would look at this person and double take or that you would look at this person and think some there is a difference there. And, and there's a bit of dated language that's thrown around, which obviously is less appropriate now. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think it's not necessarily film writers try to be offensive. I think it's just a fact of the scene. No, and, and also the time period as well. Don't forget, we're in 1975. There's a oh, lot yes, of, kind yeah. of things that were seemed to be acceptable back then that aren't, aren't acceptable as a thing now. Interestingly, when, when I first watched this, I didn't look at a cast list. I didn't look at, you know, I, well, I saw the trailer, so I knew that uh, uh, Ethan Hawke was in it. But I didn't, you know, even watch too much of the trailer. So I went into it just kind of taking characters as they came at face value, apart from Ethan F. and Hawke. So when I saw uh, uh, Sarah Snook's character walk in, I thought it was John Connor from the Terminator movies. Oh, God. He's got yeah. like, I think he's got like a proper John Connorish kind of wispy, thin, that kind of same hairstyle to him at the moment, at the time he walks in this character. I instantly went to um, like Leonardo DiCaprio in I Titanic. I also thought oh, Leo in Titanic. Very fair. Bond hair type. Thing, very fair, you know? yeah. Was, yeah was... The makeup's very good. I think yeah. like the, the transformative makeup job uh, uh, in production, very, very good. Four, four hours in makeup every day. That's wow, what, okay. what she had to do to do that. Um, interestingly, I know we were just talking about this. The the Spearigs, the directors who who did who put this movie together, they always put in an unknown actor in one of the main roles. Oh, always. really? Okay. This is Sarah Snook's first real performance. Okay, which, great. To me, I was like. It's, it's, it's a, a good, good performance. performance yeah and it's a it's a really meaty yeah, yeah meaty interesting thing to have you know you didn't you weren't just a buddy in a rom-com you know you, you went for the guttural with this yeah. kind of one you've you know you've delivered you've given a performance and and she's an aussie as well so is she yeah, oh she's man Australian. how did i not know that so it's i was reading a bit of an interview with her about stuff and she was saying one of the reasons what really helped her to play the play the role was putting on the american accent American audiences don't fare very well with Australian accents. They all make a big joke about how Ethan Hawke's Australian accent was so bad. That's why they don't have Australian accents. Because this was going to be set in Australia originally. Well, I mean, it is, it's a, filmed in Australia. Filmed in Australia, yeah. Um, and the, the directors are German-Australian. Are they? So how, that's that's how they're, they're sort of like based. How much do we get Australia and time travel linked together at the moment? Oh, a lot. What's going on in Australia right mm. now? Can Seminal, I say Seminal Classic Forty One, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the other one that we're missing? There's oh, Infin- Infinite, Infinite Man. Infinite Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. oozing Aussiness. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's some interesting things there. But I mean, uh, Sarah Snook said it really helped her get into that sort of like persona and yeah. helped her control her voice more. And she was trying to talk. It's a it's a difficult role to play, and I think she she's it's, it's brilliant. I think it's really I think brilliant. it's an interesting moment in the movie movie as well because it's it's about um suspension of disbelief effectively yeah. if you watch succession or you know who sarah snook is and you turn this movie on and that character walks in immediately you just say oh look that sarah snook dressed uh dressed like a man mm. or or, or ma- had had makeup and prosthetic work to to look like a man but you know whereas if you in 2014 or even thereafter and you just don't know like i didn't when i was when i saw this for the Same. first time you 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 sit there and you just kind of say, is that okay? I can kind of there's something here, 
And it's obviously story-based. It's not mm. just me for the viewer. It's yeah. not just them making a, a weird visual choice. It's more them, there is something going on here. Let me pay attention because I don't know who this person is and I don't know what's going on. And so I wonder, I mean, I, I have a point later on about the, the rewatchability of, of this movie, which I think is unfortunately a little bit on the sixth sense side of things god i can't sixth sense very difficult to say um but it's on that side of things in that once you know you know and so you got you watch the movie you can still appreciate it enjoy it but i would say you you can maybe watch it twice just because the second time you can go through and go yep yep okay yes that makes yeah and then this happened yeah but after that, it does fall away. Some, something yeah. takes from it, and but I think that the, the whole Sarah Snook paradigm is really is a really interesting one in 2022 with this movie being eight years old at this point. Yeah. So Sarah Snook's character pulls up a pew to the bar. She's being a a, a bit prickly, and so barkeep Hawk tells a joke. He tells the 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 chicken and the egg joke. Uh, uh, which do you think comes first, chicken and the egg? To which Sarah Snook, uh, whose character we later find out is is called John, uh, uh, replies, uh, "The rooster." <laughs> sort of a sex joke, like a bit funny. Not not really a barkeeper joke though. A bit crap, but it is a good reference to the entire film. Yeah, the whole film is a chicken and egg joke. Absolutely, and it gives barkeep just another opportunity to sort of offhand just say like, "Well, do you ever actually think about what comes first with the chicken and the egg? Do you? Do you? Do you? Do you really? Do you? Do you? Have you ever thought about the chicken and the egg? Really? Thank you, Ethan." John is a confessions writer uh, under the pen name The Unmarried Mother. Lo and behold, barkeep Hawk is a he's a reader. He's a fan. Uh, seems to me you've got a real hit on the women's angle, Barkeep says. Really? 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 Does she? Really? <laughs> the unmarried mother, as with the barkeep, is how Sarah Snook's character is listed in the credits. Now, the unmarried mother, John, after a bit of back and forth, says to Barkeep Hawk, I bet you the rest of that bottle of whiskey, I've got the best story you've ever heard. What's the name of the whiskey that they're drinking? Old underwear. Old underwear. Now, do you know what old underwear means in the Urban Dictionary slang? I don't know. Somebody you would perhaps, who you have slept with before, that you would go back to time and time again. Oh my good God. Oh my good God. I just, I can't... (laughs) Impressive. Oh, I love days. it and hate it at the same time. I know. I, I bit my hand when I was reading that line. Gentlemen, we should, we should... Do you think that whiskey exists? I don't know, but we should get old some. Old underwear whiskey. Old I underwear. did try to look up to see if there was an old underwear whiskey. Later in the film, he's he takes a different bottle from the bar. Yeah. Um, he takes a bottle of Dewar's whiskey, which I, um, I looked up and is now worth, if it was that bottle from 1975, would now be worth about 300 quid. Oh. Um, so it's it's a, a you know reasonably well liked, well drunk whiskey. Oh, okay. While John and Barkeep are having a chat in the background, the TV news is uh, discussing the Fizzle Bombers' fifth attack, uh, and it gives an opportunity for John to say that oh god, he hates the name Fizzle Bomber, uh, uh, and he Same. also <laughs> he hates he also display it gives him a, an opportunity to display a very specific knowledge of the of the bomb building process you know he thinks the fizzle bomb is a stupid name because of the intricacy of what the fizzle bomber is doing which is the first in a couple of teases over the next half an hour of oh potentially maybe john the unmarried mother is the fizzle bomber maybe that's why agent is here for him 
And so we begin John's story. He begins telling it to the barkeep. And it begins with, when I was a little girl, which catches Barkeep Hawk off guard briefly. Uh, ironic, given what happens later in this movie. We flash to September 13th, 1945. John, the unmarried mother, was born a girl and left on an orphanage doorstep in Cleveland, given the name Jane by the nurses. Now, Jane grew up to be smart, strong, but also isolated and bullied. And she just constantly knew that there was something different about her. Moving forward into her teens, Jane, still at the orphanage, unadoptable as far as she considers herself, unfortunately, is introduced to, and we are introduced to, Mr. Robertson. Mr. Robertson is there to dangle the carrot in front of Jane of, you know, you might get to go to space. Would you like to go to space? You're really interested in space. How about we do some space stuff for you? I don't think he really lets her know at this point that it's not just you get to go to space. You become a space hooker, essentially. Yeah. It's a real, like, the, the he is selling her the most poisoned carrot of them oh, all, you know? a really weird section. In the, in the original uh, novel, by the way, in the original kind of story, the acronym that they use spells out whores. No. Really? It's literally like, I'll re- well, later on I'll read it to you, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. I mean, the movie doesn't, it doesn't sort of, uh, what's the word? It doesn't make a lot of the of just how sinister mm. the notion of going round to orphanages to find the unadoptables to find, you know, and he, he sells it. Oh, we're looking for the elite. We're looking for the best of the best. And she is very strong, capable, intelligent, decisive, you know, all of all of the above. But it's real. It's real creepy. And I mean, to see that, you know, they went as far in the source material as just saying, yeah, we're signing them up to a whore program. And she mentions uh, uh, Sarah Snook's character, the unmarried mother. She says that most of the other people on the on the course uh, in the in the interview process are strippers and and junkies and, junkies and hookers, and yeah, hookers. Yeah. but yeah. they preferred virgins which is yeah. also a bit it's weird very creepy and yeah. they're basically being signed up for very unpleasant things i yeah. think there's a lot of liberty not liberty taken but there's a lot of the 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 spearing brothers in writing this can just sign all of that off to oh it's the time period yeah, yeah. stuff was really bad and it was and and women yeah. had you know terrible rights in the in the 50s in america so I, so I get it, but you do get to just kind of write off all of that weird stuff as it time yeah. period. There you go. Undergoing months of training and testing, acing all of it, Jane is constantly being monitored from a distance by Robertson, and she is also hugely disliked by her fellow trainees. After after serving up some some fiery jabs in a little fight, defending herself from from the other angry whores and delinquents on the course, Jane it gives it gives the the, the doctors and the the people in charge sort of cause to. Be a bit more rigorous in their medical uh, examination of Jane. I would like to mention that part of the training and part of the, 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 the months of going through it involves a very, very odd VR headset moment for Jane. <laughs> yeah, it's like a really weird kind of trippy vibe, but it also makes this film stand out as this is anachronistic. This is not a technology that was around at the, at the time. It's clearly out of time. And I do have a bit of a theory on that, which I I don't necessarily want to go into now, but we'll learn a bit more about how the time travel works later. And I I just have a a sneaking suspicion that I know where this comes from. Oh, okay. I love how much she loves the twisty VR headset. Like there's other people vomiting from the fact that... And I don't know what particularly it would prepare you for in that it just looks like you are being cannonballed (laughs) headfirst through the sky and then space and the sky and then space and then the sky. I guess it's just preparing you for what they think space travel would be like at this stage in time disor- I guess disorientation yeah. I assumed it was a, a bit of a prequel to when uh, Doctor Strange is pushed out of his body that's exactly the, what it looked like uh, yeah. yeah. not bad 
Now, the, the more rigorous medical examination that Jane uh, unfortunately has to go reveals something that Robertson uh, in turn reveals will, will disqualify Jane from the space program. So he tells her, listen, you're out because of the fights you've been having. And, and so off on your way. I'll try my best to get you back in. But, you know, you need. Sorry about that. You're out. Out of the space program and in need of a plan, Jane becomes a, a mother's helper which she explains as essentially a glorified servant, a mother's mother's helper by day and a charm class student by night. Just like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of dark strangers, <laughs> like, like Batman. <laughs> nice, nice link. What a segue. Wow. It's after charm class one day uh, that Jane meets him. <laughs> nice. It's a rainy night in the cleave and Jane bumps into a mysterious stranger that we, again, do not get to see the face of. It's becoming a, a regular occurrence it's in this weird, movie. Isn't it? Which, of course, immediately makes you think, well, this is clearly the bomber. This is then. clearly the bomber. Then, it's, yeah, that's my must thoughts. Be, were like, it's got to be the bomber, right? Yeah, he's, he's fizzling in the cleave. One of the wars began in Cleveland. <laughs> no, you can't say. You cannot say it's fizzling in the cleave. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I've fizzled in a few cleaves. This I have is to as say. far as I let you go. Now, the mysterious stranger. He, he, you know, he does. He hits all the marks. He quotes Abraham Lincoln just as Jane is thinking of the very quote. He's handsome. He's rich. He's kind. And Jane is utterly swept off her feet. Uh, we, the movie intimates that time goes by and you know Jane is having the time of her life she says as much but unfortunately this this happiest time of Jane's life it doesn't last very long one evening while they are sharing a, a lovely bench one night in a park her mystery lover up and disappears Jane you know uh, mortified, upset, you know, very, very sad. Uh, eventually just decides you know to hell with it I'm going to get over it. I have to find myself a purpose. Weeks later, conveniently, purpose in mind, Robertson shows up at Jane's front door. He reveals a little bit more about himself. He says he works for a company that, quote, reshapes wrongdoings only. And the company only really uses Space Corp for recruiting people just like Jane. Space Corp. What a name, by the way. Mm. Is that also the original name of the company in the text? I, th I think it is. I will check, but I'm, I'm pretty certain it is. Do you it's think very they American. Do you think they couldn't say NASA for like branding or copyright? Do you think NASA's like litigious? But isn't that what they now call the, That's the space American Force. Space, space Force? Force. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry, my bad. Robertson says he wants people, you know, that his company is looking for people just like Jane, people with no family, no ties to the past, no ties to the future, the best and brightest, the, the, the elite. But all of this kind of pampering and, and, and propping up her ego it's, it's for nothing because unfortunately Jane's pregnant so there'll be no reshaping of wrongdoings for her instead we immediately flash to you know nine months in the future uh, Jane is in labour she's in agonising labour she's passing out from the pain and then we flash again to Jane waking up in a hospital bed post cesarean fortunately her baby's fine she's had a, a baby girl but the surgeon is at her bedside and, and he looks Bothered. The surgeon reveals lighting up a cigarette in a hospital to do Wildly so. Wildly inappropriate. So 50s. Ooh, not, not then. 1950s, it was perfectly acceptable, right? If my doctor doesn't smoke, he's not a man. I don't trust that doctor. <laughs> he's not a real man. Yeah. What do you mean I can't smoke 50 a day? My doctor does. <laughs> Lighten one up. The surgeon says that, you know, Jane is, Jane's very unique. That in fact, Jane, when they were performing the cesarean, they discovered that Jane had two full sets of sex organs, both developed, but that complications during the birth meant that they had to remove her ovaries and they could only, in fact, salvage the male sex organs. Disastrously for Jane, the surgeons have reassigned Jane's gender without her even being awake for the decision. Which, it seems a bit weird that 
you don't need your ovaries to live. Like they could have just gone, oh, and sorry, you lost your ovaries. Carry on. They do. The surgeon does kind of like, like he says it not super quickly, but he's skirting past it. You know what I mean? It's they, they know where they are and they know where they need to get to. And the, the method in between is just like, you had a bad time on the surgery table. And so we've had to do some stuff. Um, I mean, it could be. I don't know if the movie's as willing to wants to be as 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 deep as this, but it could be a kind of commentary again on the time period and how these the surgeons may well have thought like this is some kind of abomination or this is something that we don't think should exist. Let me just make a decisive decision. This person can't be allowed to be both or skirt both worlds or or live as they currently are. No way. Let me just get rid of this and do this. I you know I don't know, but or possibly. even this is the only time I will ever have a chance to do this. This person is unique enough to have both. Mm. I just want to do it. Yeah, quite possibly. He also he just wants to get back to his cigarettes. That's also he, true. He needs to get out the he's surgery. Got, he's got forty eight more to smoke today. Four hours of surgery this has been, and I've only had sixteen cigarettes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, Jane, understandably, very understandably, still very very shocked and taken back by this revelation. We do see her naming her baby Jane, which is in part her acknowledging that she's naming the baby Jane after the baby's mother, and she's doing that in part because much like you would name a baby after someone that had died, her mother is effectively going to be dying because Jane will is forcibly being transitioned. She yeah. is now going to have to become a man. And as if she didn't have enough to deal with, I'm getting, I'll follow you down levels of less, <laughs> less shovel on yeah. emotional despair. Put some more on, yeah. Nowhere near Not brutal as, enough yet. No, no. Nowhere near as allergic to it as well this time around. <laughs> but as if Jane doesn't have enough to deal with, she's further destroyed by finding out that her baby has been snatched from the hospital crib, from the, from the daycare nursery bit. Her baby, you know, someone just comes in, takes a baby. The way they, added baby snatch on top of gender gender shock in such a short period of time i got like whiplash watching this for oh, yeah. big like, time oh my yeah. god jane oh my god jane no no jane yeah. no Whoa. she wasn't wrong with the i'm going to tell you the craziest story you've ever heard yeah she's winning that bottle of booze oh, oh yeah yeah that old underwear old underwear she searches desperately high and low as you would and she can't find a child and her search is interrupted by the fact that she has to go through three major surgeries and 11 months in a facility to transition. I think this is where we get the first time in any of our film club where we get to see someone hang dong. Ah. I think you might be right. There's definite dong on the screen. Just so you know, Jane is now John. I was going to say, have we seen nudity? Oh yeah, Los Corona Cremenes, there's a bit of top half nudity, but, but definitely not dongage. No, definitely don't see not dongage. Dong. Definitely not dongage. Dong's a rare one. You don't see dong a lot. No. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, we're not like a never nude podcast. Uh, we're, we're not against it, but... Uh, no, I'm uh, right now. No, exactly. <laughs> season James, two. James is nude as we speak. Season two, let's just find some porn. <laughs> just just, just uh, review time travel porn. Time travel porn. I, sure, I, I guarantee As if we're porn. not reviewing that right now. I'll check that one out. And with Jane, now John, finishing her 11 months in the facility and, and having fully transitioned body-wise, she looks in the mirror, as you mentioned, James, dong out. Every time I looked at my new appearance, I was reminded of that bastard that ruined my life, John says. Talking about the mystery lover that impregnated Jane and abandoned her. Now, the reason you're reminded of that bastard is because you clearly are them. Like, did you not see them naked? Are you not just like, oh, hang on. That's that was me. We don't get to see that sex happen, you know, but you would no. assume you'd look at it. Well, I will say the physical transformation is such that you you would just look at them and be like, that's not that's not my body, right? You yeah, know, but when you looked at yourself in the mirror now that you are John, would you not go, oh, that looks just like my ex lover, John? 
Oh, I get you. Yeah, well, you know the, what? the room was dark. You know, <laughs> know what did it for me here? The fact that there would definitely be cesarean scars and and there are scars, removal oh, scars. So true, yeah. Well, there's That's scars the only visible. thing about this that I kind of lost it a little bit on just at this moment because, because I was like, oh, but the movie does a scar, th- a scar reveal later on. It, no, no, but it when does. John and Jane would have when John and up. Jane would have hooked up, yeah, Jane would absolutely have seen those scars on John. And just been like, yeah, sure. And just you, been like, yeah, cool, man. You, yeah, I like sure. him. I'm into scars. scars That's what yeah. I'm here for. Well, he, she says he's rich, he's handsome, he's nice. He's scarred, scarred. To fuck. <laughs> And she remembers looking in the mirror. Oh, this reminds me of my also horribly scarred and similarly handsome and well-endowed ex-partner also named John. It's true. How many times in the 1950s do you have sex with a lump of scars and cash? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We switch back to, to the bar with, with Barkeep and, and John in 1975. John this morning found out before coming to the bar that, you know, he's not shooting blanks anymore. Really, John? Are oh, you really? So you could have a child, John? Really? Could you have a child, John? Interesting, John. It, very interesting. What a weird thing to happen. He also, again, we get another fizzle bomber tease. He says that he sometimes thinks that the world just deserves the shitstorm that it gets. And Barkeep Hawk, to be honest, sympathises. He turns around and he says, you know, well, yeah, I, I, I understand no one's innocent. Really? Really, Barkeep? <laughs> really interesting stuff from you there, mm. Ethan. We're back to John's story. And after a futile reapplication to Space Corp, John hops on his Confessions of an Unmarried Mother, bandwagon moves to New York, buys the typewriter, and we arrive back at present day, effectively. we John's story has matched up now with 1975 and him walking into the, uh, to the Red Lion pub to, see, <laughs> to see, <laughs> see his buddy Ethan. Thus ends John's retelling of his origin, and as we said, he very rightfully and justifiably wins his bottle of whiskey hands down. At this point, we are exactly halfway through this movie. And so we've dealt with kind of all of the backstory that we needed. Backstory not just for for, for John, but also for for Barkeep, for, for Agent. We've seen, you know, the, the burning transformation. So we've dealt with all of the kind of the preamble now. And at almost exactly halfway through, we start entering into the, the forward momentum chapter of the movie. And things start to move a lot quicker now. Barky Pork, immediately, the story's finished. Okay, time to drop the illusion. He offers John the chance to put the mystery lover, the bastard, in front of John so that revenge can be had. John immediately is very interested in the idea. Barky Hawk reveals that he actually knows a lot more about John than he'd been letting on up till this point. All John has to do is agree to to take Barkeep Hawk's place when all is said and done. After you've had your revenge on the mystery lover, you, you know, take my job. And even if you don't like my job, you can leave it. But that's, you know, that's kind of the arrangement here. Kind of like legacy recruiting. It's like the legacy recruiting Agent K does to oh, yeah. uh, really Agent is. J yeah, and Men yeah, in Black. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, come and work with me. But also at the end of this, you are you the new me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Barkeep persona is like, Totally abandoned at this point. Barkeep says, well, listen, Robertson explained it so much better than I do. Again, immediately kind of revealing, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with that organization that, you know, you've, you've interacted with before. So kind of it's, it's, yeah, some weird stuff is going on, but it's a familiar weird stuff for you, John. You've, you've seen this weird before. And Robertson is such a big name and big part of Jane's like history that when John hears that name, it's a real seller of, 
hang on, Robertson's here. Mm. He's one of only three characters in this movie at this point. You know, we've, we've got Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook, and we've got what's uh, Noah? Noah Taylor. John is sold, wants his revenge. So they decide, like, okay, let's go for it. Let's do it. They walk down uh, a basement. <laughs> this bit, man. They're walking down the stairs into the basement and. Hawkey boys like I'm my own grandpa. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I was like, come on, come on, dude. This on is the nose. Too I'm much really, now. Yeah, Stop really throwing it down my throat. I can't take it anymore. Did you think I wouldn't be listening to the bit where he specifically <laughs> yeah. sang "I'm my Weird. own grandpa"? There's, there's also a bit here where John calls Ethan a uh, son of a bitch, and yep. son of a bitch. And the barkeeper goes, "Well, yeah," because of course. He's your son. The, the reason he's singing that song, by the way, is that it's it's playing on the jukebox as they're still in the bar. So it's a 1947 song, um, I'm My Own Grandpa by Lonzo and Oscar. A real song? Real song, genuine okay. song. What's it about, you might ask yourself? Well, I, uh, I've, I've not listened to it, but I have read through the lyrics. Okay, um, give, give us a few. Well, it's essentially a song about a man who technically, through a few different marriages, uh, all predictably legal, ends up becoming his own step-grandfather, therefore his own grandpa. There is on the Wikipedia page a list of real-life incidents where it may have happened. <laughs> what? That's so weird. So That's, that page is where you want to put that information, just on this <laughs> random song from the forum. Let's put all the all the sort of like legal incest cases yeah, here. Yeah. Let's, let's, make, let's make it cool again, yeah? It's, it's almost happened quite recently. In the 1980s, Rolling Stones bassist, oh, Bill Wyman, no. Uh, if there had not been a divorce between him and Mandy, he would have been his own step-step-grandfather as a result of marriages between his first and second Ooh, marriage. Oh, no, I don't like weird, it. Right? It's too Woody Allen-ish. Uh, it's all like, yeah, no, I'm not at all. <laughs> but very appropriate for this section of the movie. Absolutely. I'm heartened more that it's a real song. If it's not a real song and he's just like uh, yeah. walking down the stairs like, oh, I'm her own grandpa. It's like, maybe shut up. Maybe maybe just leave something for me. <laughs> just play it in the background through this whole episode, Scott. We'll just do the whole thing, the right? The jukebox bit, fine. Him, yeah. him like I'm not listening directly to you, Agent Boy. Yeah. Anyway, they head into the basement. And we get right into the, as I said, big info dump and and kind of like effectively a convincer chat because he has to not just explain what's going on and not just explain to John what is going to happen to to him, but he's also explaining, and this is how I do all the things and this is all the things. So he begins with a, a kind of really fast paced rundown. And I really like the scripting here because it's really kind of, it's really brief and to the point. It covers a lot of bases. A brief rundown of the device itself, the violin case. It is a USFF coordinates transformer field kit. No moving parts, weighs six kilos, fully charged. It's adjusted for body mass. It calculates a discrete arrival location and it avoids material collisions. It is a device that creates a temporal wake. It is a time travel machine. Boom. Do you know what's really exceptional about this? That's pulled directly from the original source material. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's Whoever wrote the, the Heinlein who wrote the original source material for this, he like the the process behind his thoughts must have been like stunning. Like for, for just a how, nine page, the how, nomenclature how, as well. Honestly, it's so it's so succinct. The whole thing is like you can read it in like twenty minutes, and everything is pulled. Like all of these moments are pulled directly from it. The only difference with the time travel device in the original source material is the way that you effectively throw the temporal kind of like i don't know how you describe it the kind of temporal wake over the person is there's just a big net a literal net <laughs> yeah it's a briefcase Love not it. a violin case 
Um, and you just throw a big net over you and the person, and that's the point at which you like bang, you blip out of existence. But I loved this. I love that everything's thought out about. If you if you were to write down the list of your time travel device things that you you kind of needed to make it scientifically work, definitely would be to do with mass. Definitely would be to do with your arrival location and avoiding objects. We always talk about talk that. About We've talked time. about it. We talked we about were, it in I'll, I'll Follow You, you Down. down. Yeah. How are they not landing in a wall yeah. or yeah. in a new building yeah. or in halfway through a table? It's a clever time travel device sort of like list of things it's that just, need to be achieved. And for the screenplay's purposes, uh, uh, kudos to them for just lifting it directly and going yeah. with what worked and not adding more meat than needed to be there because yeah. it's so succinct. You know, discrete arrival location, avoids material collisions, factors in body mass. Uh, it creates a temporal wake. It just like it hits yeah. the marks. And and rare for a convincer chat, the time travel happens straight away afterwards. Oh, so yeah. it's like you have a few moments to process Boom, I'll prove it. Time travel. Yeah. Uh, you, there's no denying it. It obviously works. Really fun, nice w- representation of the time travel as well. I've said blip a couple of times because it's effectively just they're there and they're not. And there's a big sort of gush of wind, but it's just a boop, travel. That's it. You know, no flashing lights, no whiz bang, which I'm I'm partial to at times as well. But it's very much just a boop, you're, you're gone. It yeah. reminds me slightly of a cartoon, you know, when a character exits a scene really fast yeah. and they just almost completely disappear and they just leave a spinning chair and, yeah. and documents yeah, flying yeah, around yeah, the room. Yeah. That's how it felt when I saw each scene. Yeah, nice. Now, they do indeed blip off. Agent sets the timer for April 3rd, 1963. They stand still. They take a deep breath. They are now 12 years in the past. We get another big speedy dump of information uh, about Agent Hawk himself here. He's one of 11 temporal agents for the Temporal Bureau, an organization that Robertson represents and is, is managerial in some regard. And the the Temporal Bureau, they prevent crimes before they happen. Kind of minority report-ish. Minority report, Philip K. Dick. That yeah. sort of like era of time travel writing. Kind of all linked together. It's nice. I'm a, like, I, I feel like uh, the notion of like, oh, the police are stopping crimes before they happen. That's public domain. Anyone can yeah, do that definitely. right now. I say yeah. minority report, but anyone can do that. Now, this is a, a common thing in time travel of preventing things that have happened. Mm. Uh, usually heinous crimes. So it kind of makes perfect sense. We do find out that there is a limit to how far they can travel. Something to do with the wake itself means that they can only travel 53 years in either direction from the invention of the time machine. Why that is in the plot, who knows? It might be that they literally could only do 53 years either side. It's a weird arbitrary number. Through Yeah, it might just be some quirk. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that, spoiler, one of the characters looks like he gets to about that age before something happens to him. Okay. Maybe Oh yeah. it could also be just that the agency really don't want anyone to try and go either side because someone important was born before that date or yeah. maybe something important happens after that date. But there are some interesting dates that line up with the creation and the 53 years. So... The first is that it's created in 1981. Again, we're going back to Back to the Future. The DeLorean was released in 1981. Nice. So it could be just a little bit okay. of a, nice a cheeky little hint towards... Nice oh, yeah, sure. You know, 1981 when the DeLorean came out. But 53 years before that, in 1928, the earliest that you can travel to, was also when Hitler's Nazi party were first elected into some level of power. They got 12 MPs, basically, which is which was minor, but enough that... It was the first time, I think, since Hitler went to prison that they were even allowed to run. So there's kind of a theory to throw back here to something I said earlier. Maybe the reason we are in 
not necessarily a utopia, but a, a different timeline where technology is a little more advanced. Like alternate universe, right? Almost. It's like... Exactly. Mm. Could be because the first crime they stopped happening was Hitler. Could have been. So yeah, yeah. Possibly, sense. yeah. And I mean, if you think about the difference in how the 60s and 50s look with the VR headsets versus how they were, and you think, what if we didn't have the... 20 odd years of war and depression and yeah um, whatever maybe that's why we've had this extra advance and in fact it's all to do with this i mean that would explain why there's so much weird sex in cleveland it must be an awesome yeah, time that's also exactly why <laughs> that's completely correct yeah, yeah definitely yep people are just a lot more free-spirited now because <laughs> they're in the 70s they're, they're morally in the 70s of course they're morally yeah morally do you think the, the 70s. do you think the years are uh, those year designations are the movies or the original text it's the original text they're so, exactly the same so exactly the same years so robert heinlein in 19 1959 yeah 50 58 yeah, 59 yeah, yeah he said I think time travel, effectively, I think time travel would be created around 81. And then from 81, I'm going to not let them go 53 back, 53 forward. The back, I like, I think that there's a lot of, you can hypothesize about the, about the backwards and why the 53 cutoff might be affecting the backwards. And I think as we did hypothesize with the 81, maybe being a DeLorean nod, but the, um, it's the future one of what is it? 34? The 19, uh, 2034, sorry. Yeah. 2034 would be, they can't go past 2034. I don't know what Heinlein thought was going to happen in 2034. I think probably it's probably just a number he picked out of the air. I think it becomes quite difficult, I think, from a writing point of view, to come up with what a future that far in the distance looks like. Well, he thought in 81 we'd have time travel, so Correct. he's obviously lost it completely. Yeah, he, has, he, yeah. obviously, he obviously knew the DeLorean would be made. In yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I believe oh, that completely. yeah. Does that mean that it's definitely not a DeLorean it, reference? Yeah, because no, but it is a weird coincidence. It's, it's a lovely coincidence. It's a lovely yeah, coincidence. A great coincidence, right. Um, I, I just, I think like, I think it, his understanding of what he wanted the time travel laws and systems to work are so well realised. That like you almost don't need to go any further than that. It's like oh, it's fifty three years. That's it. That's that's what I think it will be. That's what I think the time travel distance will be. You'll be able to go either way. Um, it's my game. You're going to play yeah, by my well, rules. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I'm a, super impressed. I think like across the 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 short story from A Sound of Thunder, the short story potential uh, that I think the jacket was maybe based on, and. Like all of these just 50s, 60s-ish Americans time travel short stories that are floating around that make for semi-decent to quite good uh, uh, early 2000s uh, time travel movies. Mm. It's, a, it's a whole niche. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me there was in fact a short story that was called Dinner with Einstein. Uh, <laughs> and that was then the inspiration for I'll Follow You Down. I wish. I wish. Now, it is indeed a lot of information for John to take on all at once, but he's still very determined to intercept the mystery lover before mystery lover can get to Jane, because they're now in the past. And he's also kind of helped along his way by by Agent Hawk, you know, telling him, actually, we think maybe the mystery lover is also potentially the, the fizzle bomber. It's a mystery fizzle love bomb altogether. The mystery lover of fizzle bombs. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's all together. Just go and kill him. No. How about you just go and go and get your revenge? Just get to it, John. So setting off on his mission, John locates Jane after one of her, you know, nighttime charm schools. Sounds like she's training to become a witch when you nighttime think about it. Yeah. I went to yeah, my yeah. nighttime charm school. Mm -hmm. And just as she bumps into him, 
We fully realise as the audience, especially me first time round, at the same time as John does, that he is the mystery lover. Uh, uh, This is like an infinite man, Los Cronos kind of like, oh, you see, like it always was kind of this way. So it's not a reveal that we're, I at least was like, oh my God. But, you know, you kind of look at it and you're like, John, you should have known before this, mate. You should have figured it out. Yeah. But then, I mean, the realisation hits you, doesn't it? Well, he immediately, the second he says the Abraham Lincoln quote, at least, he should immediately not just realise, oh, I'm the mystery lover. No, he should immediately realise, okay, I'm about to get expletive. Sure. That Jane fucked herself and that John and Jane are the mother and father to baby Jane and that Jane, so, so Jane John, as a, they're the same person, Jane, a Jane John and a Jane John made baby Jane. (laughs) The naming of baby Jane is coincidental, unfortunate at yeah, this point. Yeah. But so he should immediately know. Oh, yeah, I know that I'm Jane I John. Did this this yeah, Jane yeah, yeah. doesn't know she's going to become John, but I know that I, John, was Jane. I'm, I'm going to tangle myself. I, don't yeah. I know what's going on. But no, I didn't realize that I was the mystery lover. So I have. And, and what's more, you'd be worried about what that baby's going to turn out like if your mother and your father were the same person. And also, there's this sort of moment where you, you are right. There's this kind of like look between the two of them, and it's like he like instantly falls in love with her. He leans into it. He says, "Like you're beautiful." Someone should have told you. That. Very narcissistic. By I know the way. he's it's, on his own nighttime yeah. charm vibe. Like he's God, he's bringing charms it's to the, the ultimate wank, right? I just I. <laughs> <laughs> In honest to God, in that moment, he immediately like knows, oh, wow. Yeah, what I did like years back was incredibly masturbatory. I should stop. Time to do it again, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've got to ask the question. What question could you possibly need to ask us? If you time traveled and you met an alternate gendered version of yourself... Would you fuck yourself? Immediately! Without thinking. Yeah, I think I have to agree. The consequences don't matter here. No. I think, I honestly, I think it would ruin other women for me. I think like, <laughs> I would be like, that is the perfect woman. Because yeah. I, like, I might immediately go full-blown narcissist and be like, <laughs> look at that beauty. Look what, I mean, no, it's in the text. It's in the movie. He immediately sees himself as a woman and is like, you got oh, beautiful. You girl. <laughs> oh my God. And I feel like if I yeah. saw Hamzetta, I would immediately be like... Wow. Hamzetta, Scotrina, whichever way yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Hamzetta, Scotrina, Hamzetta. I would immediately just be like, woof, look at yeah. you. And like like a chemical, I feel like she would do the same. We would have like a chemical bonding pheromone moment and just maul each other. I think you're I mean, right. I think you're genuinely right. Right it's, in the middle of Cleveland, on the lawn. It's that. It's Merstein's matching hypothesis, isn't it? It's Where, the what, like, sorry? So Merstein's matching hypothesis, and my wife's always going on about this. You are more attracted to people who are similar looking to you okay like i think i think you would naturally be more open to uh a, a sort of attraction to somebody who looked like you i just think it would be do you remember when we asked i can't remember what movie it was but we asked do you think if you started chasing you would you catch you and could you fight you, <laughs> could yeah. you fight 41 you? Yeah. yeah yeah well exactly yeah. yeah so i just think that yeah for exactly the same reason that i 
in fighting myself other than having, you know, having a leg up because I'm surprised my, my other one is surprising me. Other than that, I think that the reason why me fighting myself would be a draw is the same reason why me having sex with my female self, we would both come at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is science. <laughs> I mean, so, that's the other option. You either fuck yourself or fight yourself. Uh, no, I think, <laughs> I think I'll do both. Works. I'll do both. I think yeah. you start fighting and you end fucking. And you end fucking. It's true. It's true. One has to be top and one has to be bottom no because that's how the fight starts <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> ah wow we had sorry. to get there eventually sorry. right sorry guys we, let's no it, okay let's bring it, it let's bring it back yeah, bring yeah it back it's, fine. It's, bring fine. It. it's fine it's fine it's fine let's now much as we are leering eerily over this situation agent uh agent kevin bacon is doing much the same and sorry looks at this uh, development and says okay you go get your some john Go no, that's not what he said. Go get your, He whispers it. I saw it on the face. No, he, he doesn't say that. Go on, get yourself some, John. <laughs> okay, get yourself right. some, Jane. Um, and so he, but he's got a mission. He's fizzle bomb focused right now. So he he blips off to 1970. We are back in the underbelly of the building that we began this movie in. Now I kind of sort of recontextualized it as like Fizzle Bomber's lair, potentially. You know, the, by the way, the hardest Super Mario stage that one is. Now Fizzle Bomber's lair. lair. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, they get into an into a shootout again. Nothing that we have not not nothing we haven't seen before. We haven't seen this shootout, but we know that scuffles and violence and 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 there's you know a problem here. We've seen it in the underbelly. But after a brief shootout, they get into you know some fisty cuffs. The Fizzle Bomber. And has a one-up and seems to be predicting the the fighting of uh, our boy Agent Hawk. Uh, it's like so he knows all his moves. It's like Weird, he knows all his moves. Really? That's strange. Really? really? Do you? Oh, really? Really? Leaving him, leaving our boy on the floor. Fizzle Bomber sort of walks off, and then off screen we hear gunshots and an explosion. And we, the the audience, we walk with Agent Hawk back into the scene from the beginning of the movie itself. We see on the floor the horribly burned agent crawling around before porting back to 1992. And we see that the person who walked over to the crawling burned man was actually Agent Hawk himself. And we know the crawling burned man was Agent Hawk. So he's just walked in on himself, horrendously burned. You know, I imagine, you know, experiencing it was pretty bad. Seeing it also probably pretty damn rough. It, it now makes sense as well why the time travel device was given back over to the agent in the first scene. It sort of, we realise now, oh, okay, there was more than two people here. There was there was a third person. Yeah. yeah. Any doubt that like those two, sh- there were two shadowy people or one shadowy person, it was two. One of them was was definitely our boy, Agent Hawk. And so seeing all of this, you know, uh, uh, the burnt person's ported back to 1992. Our boy, Agent Hawk, also ports himself over to 1964. But this time he clambers up to his apartment and you can really see that it's been taking it. All of the time travel has been taking its toll on him. One of the first and only tropes we really see in this film i mean we have seen as well he does seem to have a watch which shows him whatever the time is in the location that he's in which kind of is a symbolic timepiece. but we've had the convincer chat and we've but... had the convincer chat but yeah. really this is the kind of the major one which is that time travel takes its toll and we do learn later in the film that there is a supposed limit to the number of jumps that you can do and you must not exceed the jump limit i think which also refers to the amount of time you jump back because mm. We also learn that 20 years is a big jump for somebody to have to do. Yeah, 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 we do. As I said, clambering up into his apartment, Agent Hawk whips out his tape recorder. He starts, you know, saying, like, well, don't ever exceed the jump limit. It can be problematic. Yes, you are. You are talking from experience, friend. Uh, and we switch back and forth in this moment between 
the agent psyching himself up for some, you know, to, to undertake something sinister seeming and John wooing himself, <laughs> John wooing Jane. And, and we, we skip back and forth between these two things. It was at this point that I really nailed on to just how good Sarah Snook in, is in this movie. There's the scene with Jane and John talking to one another, both played by Sarah Snook. And it's really kind of like where you get to see that this is somewhat of a minor tour de force in terms of being the same person and differentiating a character both on the lines of experience, on the lines of personality, on the lines of gender, on the lines of, as I said, with experience, but like what you've been through and the toll it's taken on you. She's playing the same person, at not just as simple as two different parts of, of that person's life. No, she's playing literally almost two entirely different people and yet giving you just enough subtle nods that it's still the same person. A really wonderful performance, genuinely uh, fantastic. Now, before we find out what that something sinister that the agent is having to psych himself up for is, he meets up with Robertson and we get a bit more, a few more reveals. He re he himself reveals to Robertson that he's made an illegal jump and that even though he didn't apprehend Fizzly Bomberson, he did manage to get himself a juicy clue that will, you know, really, really help him next time. Robertson knows and, and tells agent there are there are consequences for your actions, mate. You know, you can't be jumping around illegally. You know that jumping too much will affect you. But he also mentions that he's happy to kind of bend the rules for, for Agent Hawk at this point. He, he appreciates that having an agent on the outside would be of considerable advantage to the, to the travel bureau. Not travel bureau. They're not, an, uh, uh, they're not a travel agent. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the temporal bureau. Do you want a, uh, do you want an interesting fact now about Robertson? When I'd do I what? not? Yeah. So Noah Taylor, specifically not Robertson. Oh, you mean Hitler times two? Hitler times two. So we've got the Rachel McAdams triple. Rachel McAdams is in three time travel films where she doesn't time travel, but she's involved some way in the time travel. So does Noah Taylor. Oh. This movie, he plays Robertson. Vanilla Sky, which is almost time travel. It's kind of lucid dreaming. There's definitely some, some chronal stuff done he in there. He plays Edmund Ventura in that film and he's dr carter in edge of tomorrow as well the three roles he oh. plays are all supervisors to time travelers <laughs> well he's he has a very administrative bureaucratic looking face yes. for yeah. sure he and, looks like a bureaucrat or hitler and he's been hitler twice <laughs> i was really hoping you would come up with a third hitler time that he's played hitler no maybe, i could only is find he hitler two in this Maybe he was actual maybe Hitler. Maybe he was actual Hitler. Who maybe. Knows? Maybe he was actual Hitler. <laughs> Who knows? That, in Sorry. 1981, time travel was invented. Sorry, Back Nolan. to 1928, <laughs> Hitler leaves. <laughs> Always the supervisor, never the time traveller. That's what I'm dubbing these sorts yep. of things. But yeah, I think Rachel McAdams, by the way, I think she might now be up to... I think there's at least four. Four, four. yeah. I think she's yeah. gone up one. Um, yeah, yeah. Time travellers, I think maybe five, uh, depending, because she's in the two Doctor Stranges now. Yeah, you have to, yeah, you have yeah. to argue you with them. if they count or not. I don't know, because I don't know if there's time travel in the second one. There's just multiversal travel in the second one. Well, you know what Scott, I mean? we've discussed whether multiversal travel and time uh, travel yeah, are the same Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would argue against myself. You are, you are correct, James. <laughs> you are, you are indeed. Now, Robertson is is trying to psych up. He's also contributing to trying to psych up Agent. Uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Agent K from Men in Black. Now, <laughs> Agent. He keeps trying to psych up Agent Hawk to you know do the dirty deed. We don't know what the dirty deed is yet. 
Agent Hawk says she'll endure so much pain because of what I do. But Robertson, you know, he's buttering him up. He says, listen, you know, you need to understand you are a gift. You have been given to the world through predestination paradox. I love it when they say the title. Love it. Love it. Love it. it You've been given to the world through predestination paradox. You're the only one free from history, free from ancestry. And, you know, Agent turns around and he says, yeah, I'm a snake that eats its own tail forever and ever and ever and ever. He's, you know, the eternal Ouroboros, which is a great band name. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, we hear about Ouroboros a lot. In a lot of the films that we watch, Ouroboros pops up as one of the references used. Very like handy visual metaphor Mm. as well. Mm. Robertson buttering up the agent seems to have gone down a treat because he is now unfortunately convinced to do the dirty deed. And my God, what a a dirty deed it is because there's something sinister that Agent Hawk is sufficiently psyched up for now is the snatching of baby Jane. And not only, not only... We get told, we get revealed that he was the one who snatched baby Jane from the from the crash. Not only does he snatch her, he's also the one to blip baby Jane back to 1945 and leave her on an orphanage doorstep. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> baby Jane is Jane slash John. Jane and future Jane, a.k.a. John, made baby Jane, who is the Jane in question. Jane John and Jane John made Jane John. X plus X has equaled X. <laughs> I God mean, damn. Wow. My, wow. my wife was in the room when this scene was revealed <laughs> and she just looked at me and went, what are you watching? Yes, <laughs> the absolute greatest, the king. Um, I don't want to, to ruin the mood here a little bit, but I'm going to come in with some genetics. Um, Please, oh. someone needs to. Someone needs to. <laughs> I, I How is anyone still alive? <laughs> I, uh, I don't, not just from a time travel point of view, but I don't picture this being something that could happen genetically if if two individuals not to start with which chromosomes they're going to have xxy whatever but chromosomes mix when you when the the gametes meet they mix and they kind of swap places and you get some weird things happening so if somehow two identical twins could have a child it would not be identical to them it, okay. would, it would it would have different yeah. features i get that yeah so, because the mixture causes change, yeah, the yeah. mixture causes change. You don't always like you'd have to have perfectly symmetrical chromosomes. It would just be a really bizarre, fucked up situation that just wouldn't ever amount to anything. I mean, presumably, just genetic defects. Um, is yes. what you would get more than like similarities. Yes. Oh God, yes. The, Four, it's, it's not. It shouldn't like be that. Baby Jane on the doorstep. It should be Quasimodo. It should be Quasimodo. <laughs> should be. And I feel like I'm being harsh, but my goodness, the snake has eaten itself. But during the eating process, it performed some fellatio and <laughs> made, and made a baby. Enjoyed <laughs> then enjoyed eating itself. Yeah. Ooh, dinner but tonight. Was, dinner tonight. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't a snake eating it. We don't get to sit with this for very long because the agent blips back to 1963 just as Jane and John are sat on a nice bench together. We've seen this before from the different angle. John leaves the leaves Jane, departs the bench to confront Agent and he's pissed. He's pissed that, you know, this isn't what he signed up for. He was he signed up for revenge on the mystery lover, not to be led into becoming the mystery lover. But at the same time, he's also pissed because he's fully aware that Oh, well, much like the mystery lover left Jane, I, the mystery lover, am about to leave Jane. And leave he does. They they blipped over to 
85 at this point. So many dates flying around, so many decades flying around. I do appreciate that every time they go to a different place, it is at least like a different decade. It's the 60s. There's one year in the 60s they go to. There's one year in the 70s they go to. There's one year in the 80s. There's one in 90s. It's 92. It's, it's 75. It's 85. It's 63. Like they don't at least not 63, 67, 69. Helps me at least to, to kind of separate all of these jumps out. Especially when they say things like Robertson is in 1945. It's like, great, 40s, Robertson's there. I Wait, know he's there. Is he Hitler in 1945? <laughs> maybe you just Hold shave on. the... Maybe Hold don't on. do this because honestly, I'll be like, he Argentinian bunkered himself, shaved the tash and set up the TB. <laughs> now the blip to 1985, as you mentioned earlier, James, that big 20-year jump from the 60s to the 80s means that John now needs to rest. Agent Hawk doesn't. He's much more experienced with these big and chaotic jumps, but John needs to rest. So rest John does. And Robertson, ooh, I think I've just realised they jumped to 1985. Robertson is there. So Robertson does time travel in this movie I, because I, he's in 45 and 85. I think they say at one point, oh, what are you doing here in 1964? You don't jump very often. And he says something along the lines of, yep, just for special occasions. Just for yes. this. I didn't, so, not in Edge of Tomorrow, not in... Not in Edge of Tomorrow, not in Vanilla Sky. Not in Vanilla Sky, but, but now. And, and yeah. the way he says in that original scene... It, it's been a while since I've seen you. And he's like, oh, for you, maybe. I think the whole idea is that he literally has just been in 1985, yeah. popped back to see him here and gone straight back to 1985. Yeah, yeah. And he's here essentially to say goodbye, to, de to, to kind of decommission Agent Hawk. He gives him, his, gives him a final file and says, hey, listen, you know, you'll go, you've decided to retire yourself to 75. You've decided to retire fairly close to the Fizzle Bomber. Here's some information. See if you need it. But apart from that, you know, good luck and God bless. He also says some, some really kind of like coy uh, uh, stuff that, you know, is, is tin with what we when what we later find out in the movie this becomes a bit more bit more poignant he says well listen even though you didn't catch the fizzle bomber we've learned so much just by chasing him we've improved so much just by having to go after him realistically this organization the the temporal bureau it wouldn't have grown if it wasn't for the fizzle bomber so he's effectively saying uh, you know that fizzle bomber very useful served a purpose yeah I, I almost want to put a pin in there and say when we come to the end of this film i think that might come back again before agent hawk decides to blip off to his final destination he leaves his tape recorder for for the sleeping john once he does blip back to to 1975 uh he, agent waits for his violin case to decommission it bizarrely fails to do so and and he less bizarrely doesn't phone it in or say there's a problem he just accepts it for what it is he decides to open up the the information that Robertson gave him, and, and Agent Hawkey's the freshness of the of the new information sort of wafts his way and gives him a laundromat directed sense of intrigue. Then, instead of you know direct straight away going after the fizzle bomber or or you know hopping on the, these leads, the movie kind of slightly left turns a bit because we get the agent in an antique store. Agent Hawk is acquiring himself an antique typewriter. He muses on his sentimentality for the past, just as we see him typing out something and, oh, dear God, <laughs> gentlemen, <laughs> it looks a hell of a lot like this boy is writing himself a confession story. <laughs> I was tearing my hair out at this moment. Insane. Agent is Jane. Agent is John. Agent is Jane is John is Jane is John is agent. They are all confession writers, one and the, all same. the same. It means that there are literally only two people in this film. Yeah. There Every is there <laughs> is Jane, Robertson. John, and Agent, one person yeah, yeah. and Robertson. Yeah. Two people. Two Baby people. Jane, Jane, John. 
agent who should be Agent John. Yeah. <laughs> it, wild. You just got Robertson over here like, can I get me some? Can I get involved? <laughs> Where's the, where, you know, where, when are you going to loop a brother in? What's, oh my God. Oh my God. I said audibly, oh my God. It is, oh my God. But the movie doesn't give us any time to live with that reveal because straight away, now, after this little typewriter dalliance, now... Agent Hawk is off. Now Agent Hawk is nipping off to get himself some fizzle bomber. The time is now. He is finally going to get his guy. 1am, murky noir laundromat backdrop. We are here. Now calm yourself, Scott, before this happens. Calm yourself. He walks into the laundromat. Fizzle bomber's in front of him. Fizzle bomber turns around. Guys, who is the Fizzle Bomber? Well, it's obviously oh, the same person. The same guy. The same guy. guy. It's Barkeep. It's Unmarried Mother. It's Jane John Fizzle Bomber. It's the kitchen sink. It's Baby Jane <laughs> one and the same. Everyone is just every, everyone. I, you know, we've heard of the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. This movie is everyone, 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 everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> big, big kudos here, though, to Ethan Hawke looking like a disheveled piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. It is, it is a transition between him as a young, not insane man to a clearly deranged fizzle bomber. And it is great. The, I, I thought all the way through this that Ethan Hawke's performance isn't that remarkable until this point. I'm like, you know, he's just playing, because he, he is only playing Agent Hawke all the way through this movie. Yeah. And then you get to this last bit and it's like, I for a second I was like, is that somebody with Ethan Hawke prosthetics on? But it's not. It's, it's just, just a him, real yeah. good characterization, right? Of totally. It's uh, and we get the the reveal on the typewriter uh, as well that his name is Doe. His yeah. name is just John Doe. Yeah, he was a John Doe as much as he was just a baby Jane, just random J four letter names thrown out on this nameless, yeah. meaningless, ancestorless, historyless paradox of a person that is now you know uh, uh, in a laundromat confronted with his his lifetime's enemy. And yeah, mate, it's you. Why are you even, why are you even, you know that you had sex with yourself in Cleveland. <laughs> and you only, it now comes to his head though, that the only reason he became a temporal agent was to stop fizzle bombings, which are the thing that he created. By becoming a temporal agent, he also kidnapped himself as a child from himself after he spurned himself <laughs> and left himself. His entire existence is contained only to himself and a couple of handshakes with Robertson. That's that's it. Honest to God, the only it's the only variance in his life's plan are those handshakes and whether Robertson clenches or not. <laughs> because apart from that, I mean, my God, the phrase "you're your own worst enemy" comes to mind. But you're not just your own worst enemy. You're also your one night stand, <laughs> your baby mummy, your baby daddy. <laughs> like you're everything. I'm everything to myself and more. Oh my God. But why does he become the fizzle bomber? That's kind of why I mentioned the whole thing of Robertson, Robertson intimating the usefulness of the fizzle bomber. And, and that's why I put a pin in it. I think when Robertson lets him go back with a case that doesn't decommission, it malfunctions and therefore still works. When he leaves him that little piece of paper saying, investigate where this came from, when he gives him all that extra evidence, he's not trying to get him to stop the fizzle bomber. Oh, he's actively he's trying, trying to, to make it happen. Oh, guarantee he, it, yeah. he becomes yeah. the fizzle bomber. My whole thought on this was like, in, the, in, the, in this moment, I was like, oh, well, Robertson is outside of everything. 
the yeah, temple he's like bureau an, is like he's a watcher. This is it's one of those time locked events that has to happen for everything else in the temporal bureau to be able to work. So their advances in science, probably because this event happens and then they're able to like do these sorts of things. Definitely, I I, I couldn't help but think it there. We know that the temporal bureau exists pre Jane, John, Ethan Hawke's yeah. character's existence because. The they are recruiting from Space Corps, and granted, they you know, I don't want to get into the the weeds, the thick thick weeds of you know does Space Corps only exist because they need to facilitate this paradox? But I think it's no, I think it's the inverse. I think that the paradox. So I think, and when I say the paradox, it's that's the best name for these characters. Yeah, that's that that's their under. If if you wanted to be accurate in the credits, you put Ethan Hawke, comma Sarah Snook, comma a baby playing. The paradox. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think that the paradox is so vital to the existence of the Bureau and to Robertson being able to enhance and increase the Bureau. And, and the Bureau exists before them and will exist after them. But this this wonderful paradox is like the greatest tool that Robertson has ever had, right? It, it gives Robertson the credence to that line he says about how oh, I only travel for special reasons. Yes. That's the reason. The reason is he knows he has to make this happen because that's how the rest of the Bureau just carries on dealing with other time problems the meeting between our agent hawk and you know the future agent hawk aka fizzle bomb you know it doesn't go very well uh, agent is is very set in his ways of saying you know you are a murderer whereas uh, the fizzle bomber thinks otherwise he is he's the ultimate utilitarian he says well yeah i've murdered a bunch of civilians but you'll actually if you go back and see i did this and I stopped a million you know i killed five people stopped a million people from dying yeah i blew up that building but that building was gonna be bombed by terrorists in a week's time so i actually saved a lot of lives like that's the pathway that he thinks that he's done it for probably why one of those one of the bylaws on the list in the original source isn't used. That stitch in time saves nine billion. It gives away the end of the story. It would story. spoil the whole film, it's yeah. A good, that is a very so good point. You know, that that's probably like the reason they didn't use that one or didn't put the full list on. They're a bit weird anyway, but that one in particular is like, well, that makes the terrorist seem like he's part of it all and it makes sense. And yeah. this is mentioning those uh, those rules, the bylaws. Yeah. This is the scene where we get the line about we're a paradox that can't be paradoctored. Yeah. Which is great. By the way, the paradoctor, yeah. what a character name that would be oh, in any other movie. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, about Fizzle Wars 3, the paradoctor yeah. arrives. Yeah. Oh, come on. Um, it's also an interesting scene here. We've had a lot of times in this film where the characters should know what's happening because the character has already lived this. So in, in this scene, because we've basically been following along the uh, agent's timeline pre-Fizzlebomb, he doesn't know what's going on. But the Fizzlebomber knows that he's about to be assassinated, because he's assassinated this person in the past. And we get an interesting line from him, which is that if you shoot me, you'll become me, because he knows that to be fact, because he did that and he became him. And he offers up something that is obviously very repulsive to our boy Agent Hawk. He says, but you can not shoot me and learn to love me and we can just hang out and be bros. You know exactly full well you're A, not going to do it because you didn't do it. So that's sanctified. That's locked. But even if there was any possibility for a little change, chop and change, you've specifically gone about it in a way that you know he's not going to bite on that. He's not going to want to hang out and be bros with, a, you know, the murdering version of his former self. Yeah, it's yeah. it's agonising. And with such a bad offer on the plate, Agent Hawk does exactly what he we know that he will do and what Fizzlebomber knows that he's going to do. He shoots Fizzlebomber a good handy couple of times. He hits him with a couple of bullets. 
And this is effectively the movie now just montaging its way into the end. We get a sight of, of, of kind of the, the tree of life as it works for, for our, our boy, Mr. Paradox. We get baby Jane becoming Jane, Jane becoming John, John becoming agent. And we now know that agent becomes the fizzle bomber because he just, he loves his past self so damn much. And it's that love. The final moment of this is Ethan Hawke's. Barky, who's now an agent, he's now, you know, he's he, he's just shot the fizzle bomber and he's sat down and he's kind of staring at the ground. And you get this sense of just, he says, there's voiceover where he says, you know, I'll see you soon. You're going to become the fizzle bomber now. You, you know, you're going to become the fizzle bomber. And becoming the fizzle bomber means you will have a lifetime's worth of interaction with your past self. And we already know how much you love your past self, don't you? Because when you were John... You shag Jane, for starters, but even not being jokey about it, I think that a big part of why that fizzle bomber is just is is so chaotic looking and so kind of deranged is because, yeah, he has an unhealthy obsession with his past self and an unhealthy. He says he pontificates about like, oh, you're going to go and date the chick from the antique store, but she's not right for us. All we need is you and I together. And I think effectively that the realization that he will become the fizzle bomber, the shooting of himself in the uh, uh, the shooting of his future self. He will then go and date the antique store owner in an attempt to not be the fizzle bomber, specifically doing exactly what the fizzle bomber said he would do. He will end up where he's going to end up. And I think the derangement and the attachment to himself and past versions of himself is such a big reason of why, yeah, you are destined to do all of this because you're, it's inconceivable that you wouldn't, when all is said and done, go back and spend a lifetime just messing around with your past self and dancing around him. You think you're utilitarian, you think you're saving lives, you maybe know you're saving lives. And Robertson has given you the all clear to be the agent on the outside. That's what the fizzle bomber is. He is the agent on the outside, helping the bureau from afar. But it's that it's so interesting to me, that thing of like, yeah, you're a nutter and you've and you've you're going to become a nutter. And part of that is just this unhealthy obsession you have with yourself. Well, what's interesting is I think the first time I watched this film, I thought the reason he became the fizzle bomber was he traveled too much and he went a bit mad. Yeah. And I didn't really think too deeply into it on the second watch through. And especially after talking about it with you both, I think you're right, Scott, I think. He doesn't become the fizzle bomber because he travels so much that he just goes a bit mental. I think it is the case of he is so obsessed with linking up all those time travel stories and knowing that, in fact, if he doesn't become the fizzle bomber, he won't get those interactions. He won't go back and see them. He won't get to fight himself and beat himself. He knows that he has to do that to get those interactions. And that's what becomes the fizzle bomber. And and the fear of it. I mean, he must be really fucking shit scared if he doesn't do those things because what happens what happens if he doesn't go back and do those things and makes himself himself? yeah what happens then does the the whole space-time continuum just collapse in on itself because who knows he doesn't have any idea does he i when i when i first watched this i thought it was a very complicated and it is don't get me wrong it's a very complicated way of showing a simple time loop I get what you mean. I mean, it's something like, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a very, like, it's very linear. I just said, you know, baby Jane to Jane to John to agent to fizzle bomber. Yeah. So I get it. But the way that path happens. It's, yeah, exactly. All over the place. And it's just the staggered reveals of like, oh, hey, look at this. Reveal one is enough. Jane and John together made a baby. Oh my God. And then reveal two just takes it up a notch and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Agent 
the baby they made is Jane. And then reveal three just comes in, just storming in like Terry in the infinite man. He's just like, guess what guys? <laughs> I knew he'd come guess back. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a, it is a roller coaster. The back half of this movie, the back 20 minutes of this movie is just like hit after hit after hit after hit. It's exhilarating. Yeah. Speaking of the time travel, one of the interesting things here is that there, there are no consequences. There's no ultimate like thing that happens because we've already seen the consequences, the fizzle bomber, mm. but that's ended by an earlier version of himself. And it, it means that the whole film is wrapped up in a very neat little bow. Um, what's interesting, there's a few points that perhaps I'd love to, to revisit. Like he says that the date keeps changing because obviously he knows when he's going to go and hunt himself down. But ultimately... The bombing must never happen yeah. because he does stop himself. So who's feeding back this false information? Robertson, obviously, yeah. that yeah. the bombing is going to happen. Yeah. So the reason he never did a final date is because there, there was no final date. Well, interestingly, one of the kind of like film, like little trivia bits that I picked up on when I was reading through my stuff was, and I don't know whether this is Robertson playing games or not, but the pictures that he shows of the destruction... It's just pictures of the Chernobyl disaster. I did notice that, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like like maybe he's been and had photos because it would be in the future, right? It would be oh, in the I future guess it from would the be, point. Yeah, yeah, so okay. then Ethan Hawke wouldn't notice. I guess you could just, yeah, those, you could just yeah. bait him basically and be like, look what happens, bro. Because because if we if we think we think that the, the fizzle bomber final attack never happened, then there aren't pictures of it. Yeah. So it w- it makes sense for it to be a completely it's true. different thing. Well, George R. R. Martin hasn't written the final Fizzle Wars book yet, so we we don't know what <sighs> oh, happens <God>. actually. <laughs> Fizzle Wars and Bombs. Yeah, yeah. He nice. needs to finish his own normal series first. He does. He does. Uh, was this a was this a streaming movie like ARQ? Is this a cinema movie? Did it um, did it actually come out? In- it did it didn't have a big release. First first time it came out was at South by Southwest Festival. Okay, like yeah. so many of our like so all the good Australian all the time good travel Australian movies. Time travel ones. <laughs> Um, it had quite a big release in China. That's where it made most of its money from. Okay. But it only made, in total, it, the budget was $5 million, something like that. Yeah. It only made $5.3 million overall. So, it, you know, it made Interesting. a bit of a lot. Um, didn't get a big American release. Um, didn't get a big European release. Um, mostly China. That's where it did most of its Well, work. good for China for enjoying this movie and yeah. paying paying some money towards it. Yeah. I think they may have kind of missed a bit of a trick there. I think this movie would have done reasonably well um, across America yeah. and Europe. Yeah. And I'm not really sure why why it wouldn't have had such a big release. No. Um, do you want a few film facts, trivia type Love them. bits and pieces? I haven't got a lot. We've talked about a lot because it just came up logically. Some of the some of the things that allude to the end of the movie that you might have missed earlier on um, in the early bar scenes, Ethan Hawke is talking to John. Um, each time the camera looks at Ethan, the angle changes slightly, so you can see the gentleman toilet sign above him. When it flips back the other way, above John's head, it says "ladies." Okay, oh, interesting. There's okay. like a this real nod. Like, yeah, kind of thing going on. The moment when the baby snatched, John describes the snatcher as having a face shaped like yours and mine. Yeah, I yeah, did catch I, that I, one. I caught that yeah. one. Yeah. Like, so on the nose, so much of it is. I thought that one, I didn't care for that one, to be honest, because it is just a bit like walking down the stairs singing I'm My yeah. Own Grandfather. Yeah, yeah, was yeah, a bit, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's just a couple of other moments. So, like, John gives a flame for Jane's cigarette. They're the same lighter. I did notice they were both very similar. Oh, that's I didn't nice. know they were I like supposed that. to be good. the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, when Jane 
now John in you know in this part of the timeline reapplies to Space Corps as an astronaut. The Doctor who examines him closely resembles Robert A. Heinlein. They picked an actor that looked like him. How bizarre! Um, really that weird. weird. And he's credited as Doctor Heinlein in the credits. Uh, that's, 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 I like, okay. I lo- I like so that. Like, that, yeah. that was kind of that's interesting. Um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about the directors as well because we mentioned them briefly earlier. So the 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 Spearig brothers are brothers are right. twins. They are twins. Like we no, I don't like it. You weird, can't right? be twins and make a movie yeah, where people who are the same person have that, sex with one another. That is a bit... I am not on board <laughs> with that to one bit. Mike and Pete, Mike what? And Pete. <laughs> yeah. Um, German-Australian, we mentioned that before, um, writer-director combo. Um, their previous film, Daybreakers. Have you guys seen Daybreakers? Oh, I have seen Daybreakers. The vampire yeah. one? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Uh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it yeah, is. It is. That. Okay. Um, that made a crazy amount of that money, fifty-three yeah. million dollars or something, absolutely huge. So I'll, I'll be honest, job after this, I prefer this film. Do you? Yeah, I don't think I've seen Daybreakers. To it's be fine. Honest. It's yeah, fine. Fine. After this, they did Jigsaw, the kind of like the latest the in Saw the prequel line. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Not seen um, it. And then uh, very recently, two thousand and eighteen, they did a film called Winchester, which is about the Winchester Mansion, the haunted mansion in america i don't know if you know that story but no. sarah snook is in that movie. oh is she okay yeah. good so they've come, come oh, i mean we've seen so. some overlap in terms of people who do time travel movies then migrating to horror movies or coming from horror background and doing a time travel movie just for for shits and gigs so there is a there is a little kind of yeah precedent there and yet horror and time travel not often going together no and yeah i mean very I like my time travel sci-fi. Uh, I don't want to. I haven't. We haven't even seen that many jump scares. The closest we got, I would say, is probably curvature. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, but that's about it, really. Um, you know, it's I, I, you know, it's a, it's a quite a dense film to kind of pick up on bits and pieces on. But you know, it's, it's a very. I mean, I think you can see from the chat we've had how dense a movie it is, not yeah. just in terms of like fun, wild, interesting stuff, but the fact that the fact that there's just a lot of stuff going on. I think that one of the things I felt with the second I finished the, the film. I kind of had this like wave rush over me of being like, oh, that was a wave? time travel. I had a temporal wave wash over me and being like, that was some time travel. Like yeah. I felt like, I, you know, when you come, you're like, that was, a, you come back from a movie, you're like, that was a movie. Mm. I was like, this is, was a time travel movie. And yeah. we've discussed before that we don't like films that are just a film that uses time travel as part of the plot points. We'd prefer films yeah. that are time travel this films. This is like uh, Patient Zero for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that considering there are so, there are so few of our in-house pre-established tropes in this movie as we mentioned and there's you know there's not uh, an abundance of focus on the device there's no time travel diagrams there's a lot of stuff that we would have said are bread and butter time travel that aren't here and yet the movie manages to do you know so much in terms of not just paradoxes but analysis of paradoxes and working within paradoxes and 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 the, the pitfalls therein and the the ways you can bend it around and all that kind of stuff there's specifically like grandfathery paradoxes like worked with heavily. There are there's tons of hopping hopping between years. They go to like six different decades in oh, this. It's it, I tried doing a time travel diagram for this. It's just <laughs> it's just too chaotic to really read. It just looks like a bunch of spaghetti on a page. Uh, the 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 main character, his mission is time travel focused. He works for a time travel bureau. It's it is dripping in time travelness. Honestly, if they if they'd given me a juicy diagram, I would say like close to perfect in terms of just like being a time travel film up the wazoo. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So so thoroughly enjoyed it. I think 
I think the script is a bit dated, obviously. I think yeah. that there is, there's subject, uh, subject material dealt with that wouldn't be dealt with in this way, in any way, shape or form in 2022. I think that shows. I don't think it's something that I would uh say degrades the movie or that i would detract uh, uh that i would say detracts from the movie but it is dated and there are some things that you know are a bit jarring it doesn't as we mentioned earlier on i don't think it has anywhere near as much punch after the first viewing you get that second viewing just to kind of tick boxes and almost like check for for little wrinkles and details which is fun and and, and there's some catharsis there but much like the sixth sense, once you know, you know. And so, I, you know, I would say that like Palm Springs doesn't have that. The Infinite Man doesn't have that. You can still very much dive back into those and appreciate the movies. Whereas this, a little less. Interestingly, I, I think I did prefer it on a second view. And I think that's probably because I was looking for the hints. I knew what the outcome was. And I was like, they must be dropping more stuff. They oh, without be. a doubt. And there's uh, there's loads to, to, yeah. to get from that, right? There is, yeah. And but yeah, I, 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 I think I will be chasing my reaction to the reveal at the Agreed. end of this movie. I'll be chasing that high for a long time. Yeah, you won't catch that in a lot no. of things. There's not many movies a, yeah, a that will have yeah. me stand up out of my chair and be like, what? I beg what? I beg your pardon? Yeah. So it was it was big time play there. As we said, Sarah Snook is fantastic. Ethan Hawke is fantastic. And that's, you know, 66% of the people in this movie. So And the other ones played Hitler twice. So, <laughs> but I think above all else, when I think of this movie, the number one word I would use is sincerity. This movie is sincerely, it doesn't give a damn about sounding silly. At no point is it willing to like, oh, we'll just make that a bit a bit simpler just to make sure people understand it or we'll just make that a bit nicer and funner so that it's more palatable no it had a mission to do it wanted to do the grandfather paradox and stretch that to the almost f limit of where it could go and then at no at no point shy away from how crazy that is if anything they leaned into it i predestination ladies and gentlemen i i i loved it and i respect it heavily i think if i was to sum up this film uh my kind of my thoughts about it i would say my biggest problem with this film is the particular paradox they focus on it's actually one of the main reasons that i think time travel is impossible the concept of he could only exist because he had sex with herself so therefore he is his own father and she is her own mother it obviously that means that something has come from nowhere. Energy has been created. Matter has been created from nothing. Yeah, and it therefore the the time travel aspect of it heavily dislike. However, this is the film on the list of films that we have watched so far that I recommend to people. Yeah, Absolutely. I have recommended Absolutely. this film to so many people, yeah. including <laughs> someone who is a film director themselves yeah. and who went. Oh, uh, you know, what's the direction like? What's it? I was like, I, I can't tell you. You just have to watch it. Yeah, just just message me uh, when you finish this and you won't want to talk about directing or acting, friend. No. <laughs> you know, I, I feel the same way. I, I like the time travel because it fits with what we're doing here. It is nonsense. It, you know, the paradox thing just throws everything out of the water. It's well acted. It's well produced. It's well designed. And it's well directed. I think everything about it looks good. It's you know it makes sense as you know for for the situation that you're in. The only thing that bothers me about it is, and we have talked about this before. I think it suffers slightly from sort of like late stage time travel plot problems. So a lot of the film is just the backstory. And Half of the film. Half Correct. The film. Yeah. yeah. And then you get a 
fucking crazy dump at the end that is like, look at all these things that are happening that we've been hinting at, but you won't have seen. And that that annoys me a little bit. It's nowhere near as bad as other movies, and it works for it perfectly. And I, you're right, Scott. I've never sat at the end of a film and gone, I I don't know how I feel about anything anymore. My I, mind's just broken. I all like I would have if you lived within twenty miles of me, either of you, I would have <laughs> run to your house and beat the door down at eleven o'clock at night and said, "No, we're talking about this right now. Watch this film oh. right now. Watch it in front of me right now." Just huge, huge emotions at the end. Um, I was thinking comparatively against the other movies. One of the things that I, I, you know, I was looking over the 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 list of all of the various foodstuffs that we have attributed to our movies, and we've got you know a KFC floating about. We've got a an empty donut, I believe. We've got a cosmopolitan, a deflated souffle, deflated souffle, deflated yeah. souffle, a Sunday roast. You yeah. know, we've got some nice moments and some weird moments. And I was thinking about this movie, and I was thinking, you know, in in contrast, I. This movie, in my head, and instantly I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's the meal," that, and because it's a meal I've had. This movie is something you don't. It's something I hadn't seen anything like this before. It was like a almost a novelty of like, "Oh yeah, this is doing like a really interesting thing." But in light of the fact that every time thereafter that you have this meal or watch this film, something is missing because it's just not as novel. You know, you know what the shtick is, yeah. but that there's just, and this is the the crux. There's a lot of kind of meaty stuff coming at you hard and fast and it's an interesting kind of way of doing it this is one of those brazilian meat sword meals (laughs) yeah yeah, where they've got it on the sword it looks interesting it's structured very well and you're like what's this and then he chops it off he chops it off tiny plate you eat it you're like okay and then just when you think like okay i think i know what's going on plate of pineapple to the palate cleanse and you're like oh wow what okay this pasta's for the table yeah i guess so this is interesting this is so weird and you finish the brazilian meat meal especially after the last couple of rounds where it's just like big meat big meat big meat and you're like oh my god i can't believe the two of the meats were the same meat and they had sex with each other (laughs) (laughs) you finish the movie and what do you do you everyone you meet for the next two weeks you say by the way i went for this wild meal it was crazy yeah i've never had have you ever had meat just cut off a sword in front of you but then the second and third and fourth time after a while you just don't go because you're like i just want my meat i just want my meat on the plate i'll be honest i just i just want some some chips and some coleslaw with it i I don't want to do this weird slicing it into my mouth but the first time Oh boy, did I enjoy this! That is absolutely spot on. Thank that you. Great. I was very great. proud of that one. Yeah, 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 the Brazilian yeah, yeah. meat sword of movies, yeah, ladies yeah, yeah. and gentlemen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and in light of that, uh, Brazilian meat sword meal was a meal that I, I thoroughly enjoyed first time round. Let's let's get ranking because I'm so interested for where for where because I like I knew I didn't know exactly straight, but I'm 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 quite I'm I feel strongly about this one. But I will I will go to Adam Hedges first. Adam Hedge, Se- second place. That was a, a firm and that was second right. Place. You were there's right no, there. There's no, I can't. You can't, right there. Can't. No explanation, James. Yep. What's yours? Just give me the number. I, th- I think I'm gonna have to put it at number four personally. Okay, mine was wow. Also second place. Interesting. Very okay. So well, James, James has to tell us why. Yeah, he's put it at fourth. Okay, so, so fourth for clarity is is just under Chrono Criminus. And just above the girl who leapt through time. Above it's still, the girl through time. still high ranking. Still high ranking. The only reason I don't put it above The Infinite Man is the rewatchability. I could rewatch The Infinite Man again, like right now. Uh, I thought it was a great film. I thought it was a really interesting film. I thought it was a fun film. Los Cronos Crimenes, I just think it's the time travel I like the most. 
I mean, it is still the same problem that we have here, whereby he kind of causes his own time travel, which is, you know, a, li a little bit annoying, but at least he doesn't come from nowhere. He actually does come from somewhere, and it, it makes more sense to me. And then I think it's, other than that, pretty much level with those two in terms of the story and the quality. It's a good solid argument. As you were saying that, I started to think like the, almost the over-under with Infinite Man. I think that on our list, Infinite Man and Los Crono being so high is because they're exquisitely made. They're very, lots of things have been taken into account. There's so much consideration in the way that those movies are made and that type of everything happened and has always happened and always will happen. That kind of time travel. I think there's so much kind of enjoyability to be had from seeing that executed. And I think that those two being together as well, in many ways, I think that the Infinite Man is the is the evolution of Los Crono Crimenes, you know, three hectares in Los Crono, five deans in Infinite Man. So it's just like the maturation and, and uh, a stretching of that idea in itself. I think that predestination, I would be quite comfortable with putting it in between those two, in between Los Crono and uh, Infinite Man on the basis that while I agree with you, the Infinite Man is a more believable, not that we're, we're striking for believability, but it's a more acceptable and a more almost like nourishing form of time travel. The movie doesn't feel like there's like, oh, there's this thing that you just kind of have to take on the chin. You have to accept. But I think that in many ways you look at it like Primer. Primer's like this big be all and end all makes big statements and and executes them boldly and 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 impressively and then just underneath that i almost feel like you have the infinite man as like and this is the best of that type and then to the left of it just underneath it you have predestination as like do you want what you think should be on the label when you watch a time travel movie do you want to see like grandfather paradoxes do you want to see people decade to decade to decade to decade do you want to watch some great acting some good directing do you want to just see something that's very enjoyable and at the end will pack up big boy punch for you time travel wise not just film wise but time travel wise that's kind of that's kind of how i feel uh, uh but adam what do you think i enjoyed infinite man more than i enjoyed this but nothing has shocked me as much as this film ever i can't think of another movie <laughs> that i can fucking think this is i i've never i've never stood up from a first and james is right it's a one-shot deal. You don't. You're not even going to get that feeling back again, which is why it's important for it to be high up on our list. I will compromise with you, okay? I will. Go, we can drop it to third position, but you've got to move forty-one up from eleventh to tenth. No. Um, <laughs> what's, so, this, what's this bargaining? Oh my goodness! No, no, oh my goodness! No, no, no. <laughs> no right, come on. Right. This is Here's, how this works. Oh, wow. Here's no, my. I, I, all jokes aside, I completely agree with you. I. James I, is four. We were two. I went two there, because, like, I, I just fucking, I loved the ending. I was so bowled if, over. I was like, if wow. If we had a, a ranking where we could put them next to each other, I think they're close in exactly terms of what yeah, I was going to yeah. say. I mean, I think we said with Chrono Criminus and Infinite Man, they're they're quite tight between Absolutely. them. There's yeah. not a lot of room, not no. a lot of wiggle room. And I think the other thing about Infinite Man compared to Predestination is. Infinite Man is the everyman's time travel, and this is more specifically a kind of like higher level of time travel. I think it's more so, sci-fi-ish. There's yeah, agents. There's a bureau. It's there's... not. It's not kind of a, a kind of down-to-earth type thing. This one. This is more kind of like it's something that's happening to one person. Whereas I can see the Infinite Man situation happening to anybody. So I, I think probably you are right. I think it just pips Chrono Crimenes in terms of its shock factor. And that feeling you get when you watch it for the first time. But I could watch Chrono Criminals repeatedly and still enjoy yeah. it. I I wouldn't go back to this again and watch it again. But I think that's why it edges it slightly, because it is just fucking crazy. 
Who? It's absolutely not. It's insane. It's insane. It's absolutely honestly. insane. It's, it feels like this film should have existed before the 2014. There should have been a movie that was just this balls to the wall in terms of time travel. And the fact that it didn't means you have to very much thank and respect the people who finally brought this kind of thing into existence. And I'm yeah. so happy they decided to bring it along with Ethan Ethan Hawke. You know, like, of course, it came out the same year as The Infinite Man. Ooh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Australia was batting a thousand yeah. in 2014. They really, they really yeah. were. Wow, wow, wow. That's crazy. I, I mean, see. 41 was 2012. So there was a real like yeah. stint there between 2012 and 2014. What a moment. Yeah. What so, a moment. I'm happy to put it at third place because yeah. in my yeah, head, cool. Infinite Man, Predestination and Chrono Cremenez essentially are one level together. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I think that you're splitting you're getting so splitting granular yeah. and fine when you go from what is our new top 5 girl who leapt through time, lost chrono, infinite man, primer, predestination. Yeah. That's just like goodness. A real know? shame that yeah. Palm Springs drops out, but I do think appropriate as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Palm Springs is like the best of the rest, you know what Absolutely. I mean anyways. Yeah. And that our fantastic listeners brings us to uh, the end of season one of the Time Travel Film Club. Goodness me. 12 movies, 12 glorious chapters, 12 entries in our wonderful list. 450 hours. <laughs> My goodness. And But I'm very happy to announce that that's not the end of it. This season doesn't end here. We will be back for a 13th episode where we go over the season, we have a look at all of the movies, we compare and contrast, we do maybe some, uh, some more tantalising ranking. Really, we can just sit down and, and rehash the Jane John dynamic <laughs> if you want. <laughs> To. I'm all here for that, but uh, it'll be nice to revisit some 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 fun moments, the Hectors and the Terrys of it all. But until then, a remarkable chat, guys. A uh, incredible time was had. What a movie to watch. What a what a wonderful chat to have. I look so forward to breaking this entire season down with you next time round. Until then, stay away from handsome men with violin cases in public, no matter how sexy they might be. <laughs> and if you see someone who looks like you and is really really sexy, just take a chance. And that brings to a close, insanely, another episode of the Time Travel Film Club. If you'd like to share this or any of the previous episodes of Time Travel Film Club with your friends, our episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And we would be so wonderfully, hugely, vibrantly grateful if you could leave us a rating and a review so that the Time Travel Film Club can be heard by as many as possible. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with us, the best ways are... Like us on Facebook at Time Travel Film Club. Follow us on Twitter at Time Travel Club. Or go to the subreddit r slash Time Travel Film Club and send an email to timetravelfilmclub at gmail.com. Our next episode will be our bumper season review, which you don't need to watch a movie for. So until then, love from the past, see you in the future. <laughs>